and we're live. Joy, before we started recording, we were trying to come up with basically something to start with, and we basically settled, for want of a better term, term on what you do. How would you yeah. describe what you do? Is it a singer-songwriter, or...? Yeah, I suppose so. I've been kind of playing music for pretty much half my life now at this stage, so acoustic guitar, singing, kind of started off doing covers, and then eventually started kind of writing my own stuff, and yeah, so nowadays... I suppose you have kind of bluesy, folky, that kind of thing. It's interesting what you said there about starting off um, playing covers, because that would be yeah. fairly typical, wouldn't it? Generally for, for speaking, musicians. yeah, I think so. Like, I think most people pick up a guitar or any instrument or start singing because they're inspired by somebody else. So the probably the best place for you to start is to try and kind of copy what you're already seeing or hearing. And then like from that, then you kind of develop your own style or whatever so yeah it's it but it, it's great though because recently i uh uploaded a speech of sorts and i've had this idea in my head for years of of kind of speech writing and writing stuff to music and kind of i suppose cringe wordingly enough kind of motivational type stuff stuff yeah. to try to maybe light a fire under someone's uh and, and get them going but and I, my original thoughts were to reenact a speech, so basically do a cover version, like really? a musician would do a cover version of a song. Yeah, yeah. Um, I ended up not doing that and just biting the bullet and uploading something anyway. But musicians have not that they have it easy, but they have have it easier than others insofar as there is that, and and mm. that's okay. Because if you're if you're let's say a speechwriter or a poet or a film producer, you never see people doing covers of Jaws, the movie, say, or covers of <laughs> something God. else. Because you, yeah, like, but exactly because because there's something sacrilege about that. Like you yeah, know, if yeah. you're going to fucking make a movie, make your own, or if you're going to, um, if you're going to write a poem or do a speech, you know, do your own. But with music, it's kind of cool that you can you're emu- you're emulating people, not yeah. ripping them off. Definitely, that's kind of a reference point to start from. So. Like with music, now I'm not by any means like a technical expert when it comes to music. I can't even, if you gave me sheet music there now, I wouldn't be able to read it or anything like that. I could maybe do Mary Had a Little Lamb on the recorder and that'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> but like in terms of uh, music, like if there's an instrument, uh, there's a way to play it. There are certain chords or there's a certain, you know, technique to it. So if you're learning how to do it, you're kind of learning what other people have already done. And then you're developing your own style in it, you know, so there's already a kind of a place to to work from. If you're writing a poem, you're just using your own language. You know, there's not really you don't have to do it in a particular tune or a particular key or anything like that. So I think maybe that's like with music, it's maybe more important that that you are kind of looking for influences maybe to start off. I don't know. No, 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 that makes sense. And I'd never even because it's, it's weird. And that's the great thing about actually talking to people and have someone hit the ball back at you. I've thought about this idea of the, the similarities or differences, should I say, between speech writing and writing songs. Mm. But I never thought of what you just came out with there, you know, like that. This. <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> no, but, of course, and, but again, that's the beauty of these conversations yeah, and the fact yeah. that they're not scripted or not kind of pre-rehearsed in, in any way, shape or form. You, you don't really know what you're going to say until <laughs> you've come out and said it. And that's that can be a bit kind of daunting. Yeah. I think that's the scariest thing about doing something like this and what might maybe prevent people from doing it. So, for example, if you send somebody a message going, will you do a podcast with me for three hours? They're kind of going, shit, what am I going to say? Like, what if I say something stupid? And you probably will say something stupid. But sure, that's the whole 
beauty of it. You don't know what's going to come out until you actually give it a go. But isn't it weird though? Because that's so common. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think anybody that I've asked had. I don't think anybody anybody that I've asked to come on has said, "Yeah, I'll come on. You're on tomorrow." Do you know that kind of way? Like, does, yeah. does now suit? Are you free? Uh, there's always that little bit of, oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, kind of let me think about it. And more often than not, people say no. Mm. And then occasionally, and the way, what I do is at the, at the start, I'd ask somebody. And they'd say, oh, no, I don't know. And then I'd say, I oh, no, go on. And I go, go on, I go on. You know you want to. You know, there was a bit of encouragement from me or a lot of encouragement, maybe too much. Yeah. But now that I've kind of asked so many people, what I've started to do is I'll ask them. If they say, yeah, we kind of arrange a date to come out. If they say, no, what I'll say is, listen, it's an open invitation. If you want to do it, do it. And that's me encouraging them to do it kind of done. Yeah. And at least then it some people at least have come back and said fuck it I've thought about it and you know you've only got so many years on this planet you may as well do a bit I don't know Definitely, but uh, yeah. it's just it's, it's interesting but getting back to the the songwriting element how comfortable are you now with expressing yourself and like do, do you hold back is there a lot of stuff that you've written that you haven't sang or recorded or yeah I mean I'm recording my first album this year, which is kind of a bit ridiculous because I have been doing this for ages. I've done little bits of um, maybe demoing or kind of an EP, but not really, though. And I've done lots with other people. But this is the first time where I'm actually confident enough to go, OK, here's my songs, going to put them on an album and put them out there. Um, there's loads of songs that I've had over the years that I would have played and played and played, but now I've no interest in playing them. I'm, I'd actually cringe if I listened to them now. Or, <laughs> you know, like I've new songs that I, I'm, I've kind of, I'm a little bit more. I can stand over them a little bit more than maybe other ones that I would have written years ago. But I've been learning a lot uh, lately. Like there's a, a guy helping me out with kind of the the logistics of the album and just kind of mentoring me in a way. And he's a good friend of mine, Eugene Donegan, and. Uh, I actually sang on his second album. He's got two albums under his belt and he's with a band now called Pilgrim Street. They're going to do um, an album as well. And he just has a wealth of knowledge and experience and everything about the whole thing. And I was talking to him about that. I was sending him on kind of little phone recordings of uh, new songs going, oh, you know, here's the songs that I want to put in the album. And he's kind of going, where's all the golden oldies? Like the ones that he would have known from years ago. And I was going, oh, no, no, I don't want to play those songs anymore. You know, and he's kind of going, well, you have to kind of strike a balance there because... People who do know your music already know you because of those songs and you can't just kind of dismiss them offhand. So you kind of have to find a bit of a, a bit of middle ground, you know, between kind of what uh, what like just not the stuff that you're just interested in now, forgetting about everything else, but like kind of doing a bit of a balance between the two. So some new stuff, some old stuff um, and not like kind of getting over yourself a little bit and like just, yeah doing all the ones that kind of got people into you in the first place I think especially for a first album that's probably really important so I'm going to have to kind of revive a lot of songs that I haven't played for years and that I I consciously decided not to play for years because I was like oh that's shit like I don't want to play that anymore but I've actually kind of rekindled a bit of love for some of the old songs even though I wouldn't write in that style now I wouldn't say those things now I don't really feel those things uh, in an immediate sense anymore but they're still part of me like they're still part of who I once was or whatever so they're still probably going to get a little look in on the album so 
And what are the things that you, you know, would have thought but don't know or would have felt but don't know? Is that in the jumps off the page? Oh, there's a couple of them that, like, I started writing songs when I was maybe 17. I started well, playing... I tell you, it's just, sorry to cut across you, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll do that. We'll do the whole, you know, were you a singer as a toddler kind of thing? Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, what, how did that come about, like, the whole singing thing? So, when I was in secondary school, um, I was in Mercy and well for three years then I was in Beaufort College to do my leaving cert but uh, when I was in Mercy I was in a bit of a girl band and we did like talent shows in O'Mahony's and all these kind of places really fucking cringy stuff <laughs> and I was the shit one in the band as well so <laughs> there was uh, myself Mairead O'Dowd who's incredibly talented she went to um, Billy Barry and brilliant dancer singer the whole lot Laura Carroll brilliant singer guitar player Jackie Hose a really good singer Katie Bird like all these really you know very talented people and I was just kind of along for the crack really more than anything I was kind of you know singing a little bit here I wasn't terrible but I wasn't very good either um, but it was it was good crack and that was the first kind of um, the first bit of messing with music I suppose that I did and that was when I was maybe 14, 15 and then when I was about 16 uh, like one of my oldest childhood friends uh, her dad was uh, he'd be I'd be going over and staying in their house in Black Castle or whatever um, a couple of nights a week practically lived in their house and she would have lived in mine and he used to be going out the door on a Monday evening with a guitar case and he'd be going off to this place, you know, to do his gig. And I kind of started only really noticing it when I was about that age. And I was kind of going, oh, where's he going? What's he doing? What's going on down there? Do you know, and started kind of asking him more about it. And then I uh, found out that he was going to this place called, he called it Marmion's. And uh, I was like, all right, OK. So over a bit of time, whatever, figured out that it was Birmingham's bar straight across the road from the palace. And uh, I got really intrigued. I, you know, wanted to kind of see what happened down there or whatever. So eventually, anyway, his wife, so my friend's mom, said, look, I'll bring you down. As long as your mom and dad are all right with that, I'll bring you down. He's going to have a Coke and uh, listen to the tunes or whatever, listen to the lads playing. So we were delighted. Went down and there was Dickie Brady, who's my friend's dad. Uh, there's Sean Clark, the nipper, they call him. Uh, there was Paul Clark, as in Clarkie's dad, Paul Clark Sr., uh, Willie Gilson and, and various other people kind of coming in and out. So they'd sit on this little bench around the fire, sipping pints, having crack, playing tunes. And it was brilliant. And just the the connection that I could see between them and just people coming in, like punters into the pub. And I just loved the whole atmosphere. And I just found it really intoxicating. I was like, oh, I want to do that too, you know, so... Uh, asked Santi for a guitar and uh, <laughs> so, so what age were you again at this stage? I think it was about 16 right cool yeah so, cheeky uh, bitch asking Santi for a guitar yeah yeah no, I asked my mum and dad and uh, they duly obliged anyway so they got me my first guitar for, for that Christmas and uh, so I started just messing around with it at home first of all and kind of got like a maybe a book of chords or something like that. Like it was kind of before the days of like YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. but there'd be websites that you could look up um, chords or whatever. So like songs that I liked, I'd just tap, you know, tap them into Google or whatever and print off <laughs> the chords. And I was just literally go to school, come home, go up to the bedroom and just be there for hours playing and playing and playing. And I was terrible, like for ages. And uh, eventually anyway, Dickie and the lads kind of said, well, sure, bring your guitar down on the, the Monday nights or whatever and you can play along like the best way to learn is to just play along with other people yeah dive in yeah yeah so I was obviously 
terrified but honored to you know be allowed to do this so I kind of started doing that then every Monday night and uh, I'd be playing along with them you know and the way that it would work is that each of them would take a turn doing a song so uh, when it come to me like I'd just kind of skip me because I didn't really have any songs I might have one or two and then as time went on and I was kind of practicing more I might have one song that I was confident enough to play so I'd play that at the end of the night or whatever so Again, another bit of time had passed and then I might have two songs and I might have three songs. And then I remember the first time that I really felt like a proper musician in a way was uh, went down to play. And on this particular night, I was able to take my turn every time. So every time it came to me, I had a song and they'd all play along and that was all grand. And then at the end of the, the night, we were finished playing and I went out for a cigarette, I think, or I was off chatting to somebody and I could see them all kind of huddling in the corner. I said, what the hell is going on over there? <laughs> and the next thing they come over anyway and very ceremoniously like handed me 20 quid and they were like, that's your money now for tonight. Like you are, you know, you're a part of the band or whatever. So I, it might as well have been 10 million euro. Like I just thought it was the best thing in the world. And just through their encouragement then and lots of other people's encouragement, I used to go down to that pub every night that I could, that there was music on. There was uh, never anything on a Friday or Saturday, but every other night of the week. Monday night would be with the lads. Tuesday night would be uh, Toby Creek and Marky Maguna playing great tunes as well. Wednesday night would be uh, Clarky and Beef and Pader Mulvey um, playing Savage tunes as well. That's kind of how I got to sort of know all of them. Then Thursday would be uh, the Beggies. So David Beggy, Stephen Beggy and Davy Dunn. Nothing Friday or Saturday and then Sunday would be this mad all day, all night session. So it would start off about three o'clock in the afternoon and be Pads O'Farrelly, uh, Gordon Leonard, all these kind of guys. And then the Beggies would come in and do the evening session. And I was literally there every night and every Sunday for all of that, just trying to learn and try and kind of develop my craft, let's say, and obviously have lots of crack as well and drink loads of pints. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> over time then, yeah, like they'd all kind of, they all sort of got to know that I was, you know, learning how to play or whatever and they'd get me up and they'd do a song and it all just, because of all of that and all of those people, I kept playing and I, you know, kept kind of spending more time doing it. And then through that, like once I kind of had a good few covers under my belt, that's when I kind of started going, okay, I'll maybe I'll try and write something. So uh, eventually, anyway, like through, that was kind of the start of it. And then I started gigging all around the place doing, you know, d- different kind of covers gigs. But really what I wanted to do was was write my own songs. So I remember, uh, yeah, like at that age, you know, yourself, like when you're a teenager, like you're full of angst and you're whatever, like everything's very complicated. And, <laughs> and what, Sorry, what age were you at this stage then? So, so at this stage, I think I was maybe 17 when I wrote my first song. Okay. Uh, it wasn't the best now in the world but what I used to do when I started writing songs I used to when I'd be playing down in Mickey's pub we'd call it Mickey's so Mickey Marmion was the, the guy that owned the pub uh, he sadly passed away last year and is very missed uh, in our circle but I'd, I'd go down and I'd be playing the covers gigs then it'd come to my turn and the lads I kind of copped that a lot of the stuff I was playing the lads wouldn't have heard of anyway so I was like, you know, they might say to me, oh, who who sings that song? And I'd say, oh, for example, Gemma Hayes or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I never heard of her. So I realised if I played one of my own songs and said it was somebody else, nice. they'd give me honest feedback and they wouldn't know it was mine. And I'd know then, is it shit or is it not or whatever. So I used to say that all my own songs were Gemma Hayes songs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all, I could have been playing Baba Black Sheep and they would have been like, that's great. Yeah, you're doing brilliant. Just keep it up, you know. But I kind of knew myself like 
testing out different ones, which ones kind of were, they were really into and which ones they weren't. And that kind of like, yeah, my songwriting kind of went from there. So You sneaky bitch. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they probably don't know that if they ever hear this. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's fucking, that's a touch of genius right there. That's brilliant. I love that. I Very really, sneaky, I really love that. I yeah. really love that because I, 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 um, I've been waffling on a lot recently about this idea of incremental steps, and that's that's a really good one. <laughs> that's a really, really fucking good one. Oh, what 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 do you think of this song? This is yeah. this is a song by this obscure artist. She lives in Australia somewhere, or you know, whatever. Like, and yeah. it's actually your own stuff. That's yeah. really cool. So, you were introduced to this scene that what what what, is that a the session musician scene is that what that's kind of called at what 16 and then a year later you're playing in kind of cover songs with other people and kind of writing your own stuff yeah okay so where did it go from there um from there i mean i i used to kind of i'd be working and i'd be gigging and i i never really took it all that seriously like i loved playing um but i never really saw it as oh yeah I want to be a professional singer like you know I want to I want this to be my full time thing and actually kind of quite the contrary like after a while I sort of thought she's I never want to depend on this for you know my dinner or paying my bills or whatever because to me I just felt like it was too putting too much pressure on it like I didn't want to feel like I had to do it uh, so I always kind of had that feeling but I always did want to to do it at the same time as well and I kind of, I suppose after a while of playing largely by myself, I started kind of playing them with other people and maybe uh, like getting a band together to play my own gigs and stuff like that. And just like friends of mine who were great musicians, luckily enough, um, say, for example, Kev Mulvey, who'd be a friend of yours, I think, and probably a friend yeah. of the podcast. Um, He would have played a lot with me and then like other friends like Trevor Ludlow, Ian Ludlow, uh, Lizzie Oaks, like all these people like were kind of in the early days when I was just starting to kind of do do my own music. So I'd be kind of playing here and there at open mic nights or singer-songwriter nights or an odd festival and all that kind of stuff. But still, I was kind of doing a lot of it, but I wasn't really doing it professionally, let's say. Like I was always kind of, I still always had like a job, you know, in the like in the background or whatever. Um, there was a few times here and there where I thought, okay, yeah, no, I'm going to do an album now. I'm going to make a go of this now or whatever. But I just never really put the work in and never really committed to it. Um, and I think deep down, I, I felt like I wasn't really ready to do it anyway. Like not not the way that I feel I'm ready now to do an album. I'm kind of glad I didn't do an album back then just for the sake of doing it. Um, so, yeah. And is it, to use my own kind of terminology, is it very on the lead of you to think you need to have an album and need to have all these things? And like when you were saying there about that guy that's advising you, like I don't know who he is. I don't know the first thing about writing music or creating albums or being a professional musician. Don't know anything about that. Yeah. But I'd be wary that you could be falling into a this is how it's done, this is what you need to do, you need to think about this, and, you know, people want to hear the old you as well as the new year, and, and all this kind of stuff, and would mm. I, I would wonder, are you better off just nearly almost, not ignoring all that, taking on board, but do your own thing at the same time? It depends what you want to get out of it, I suppose. Like, in terms of um, the advice that I get from Eugene, it's really not, um, it's not that he's kind of going, oh, um, 
you know, if you want to sell X amount, you have to do A, B and C. It's more that if you're doing this, you need to do it properly. And in order to do it properly, you need to kind of have a sort of a plan and a, a, a proper structure to the whole thing. And um, it's more really being conscious of what you're like. He's not saying you, you should put these songs on the album he's kind of saying don't dismiss old songs just because they're old songs do you know no, what I yeah, mean no, that's that okay. kind yeah, of a, yeah. a way he'd be very much into the artistry of the whole lot but he's also got the experience of all the the logistic-y uh, kind of business the end of it I suppose as well but the the way that I suppose a lot of a lot of people kind of make these albums and spend loads of money doing all of that and by the time they have it done they've nothing left to do anything with it. So they have their album, but that's it. It goes on a shelf and there's there's no more about it. And so, sorry, what uh, the point you're making there is that you don't have the money to promote it once you've made it. Yeah, or... and not even just from a financial point of view, but just from a um, planning point of view. You know, like they might kind of spend a couple of years doing the album, put a load of money into it, and then it's kind of like, oh, the album's done, what now? And then something else has kind of... There's no sort of follow through with it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So um, because of lack of planning, I think that can often lead to a lack of finance then to do anything with it anyway. Whereas if from the get go, before you even go into the studio, if you're going, right, what's my budget? When do I want to release this by? Um, if I want to do that, what do I need to do in terms of promo? All that kind of stuff and have have some sort of a budget and some sort of a plan in place for it. Because... Otherwise, yeah, you'll have an album, but only you'll ever know about it. You know, like you, yeah, you kind of need to have that structure in place, I think, to be able to to get it out there, whether it's booking a tour or, you know, releasing it on all different platforms, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't have a clue about a lot of that stuff, you know, so I kind of uh, value advice and, you know, information from people who have done it, who have done it kind of the right way and the wrong way as they might kind of see it, you know. So like albums, I think, can be... Uh, I think they can be a black hole for a lot of people's kind of creativity and money and everything else because it just becomes this thing that they feel like they have to do because they're playing music and then they do it and then it just kind of falls by the wayside then nothing ever really comes of it. Yeah, know, oh no, so. no, big big time and, and that idea of putting a plan into place I think there, there's wisdom in that for everybody in relation to everything. Yeah, you know, kind of way, like yeah. you, you might have a an idea to do whatever it is, maybe get in the football team and people just, they really want to do whatever it is, whether it's put out an album or get on the team or, you know, insert whatever it is that you really want to do. But as you say, without a plan, number one, first and foremost, they're not going to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't have a plan for what's going to happen afterwards, you're going to get to that point and realise that there's almost an empty feeling. You've done it, and now what? Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? So yeah. the idea of kind of planning to do it and then having a plan for once it's made is is really important, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's something that, yeah, I've never really been in that that kind of frame of mind about it before. Again, it's not. It's still not something that I want to do as my as my thing that I do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to, if I'm going to put all that time and effort and money into doing an album, I want to give it a proper run out. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't want to kind of do it a disservice by not having a good plan. Like, I will work my ass off to do it and then I'll, I'll do, you know, tours and all that kind of stuff, absolutely. But I'll still be doing my other stuff in the meantime. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, going, okay, I'm a full-time musician now. It's just, I'm someone who has an album and I'll, do the necessary work but that'll be kind of it like I'm not it might be the only album I ever do you know of my own stuff at least it's not really something that I see myself kind of 
doing long term. Now that said, I might do it, and then I I could be already writing a second one. I don't know. Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, it's just it's not really. Um, maybe I'm not like the the a typical kind of um musician in that sense. Like I don't want to really just be a musician full time. Do you know, I want it to be something that I'm doing, but but not solely. If if you won the lotto, what would you be doing? If you had, you know, ten million quid in the bank, do you know what you'd be doing? Well, over the last kind of year or so, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less, I've been kind of um, having this year of sort of like trying a bit of this and trying a bit of that. So I kind of um, had a bit of a, I don't want to say epiphany, it sounds so fucking stupid, but it was kind of an epiphany that I really wanted to get into kind of healing. Uh, And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. So I thought, right, okay. There's lots of different things that that could mean. So get out and con- like, you know, try and see what, what they are. So like holistic therapies and all that kind of stuff. So I did, um, I've done a couple of like little short courses and workshops and stuff like that here and there in uh, like homeopathy, um, sound healing, meditation, stuff like that. I've kind of recently gotten into yoga and mindfulness and all this kind of stuff. So if you were to give me a check for 10 million quid right now, I'd go travel the world, train up in all of these kind of different therapies and I'd open some sort of a place where people could come and access those kind of services, I think. Okay, it's... it's, 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 it's <laughs> where, where, where to that. start? Where to start? We'll start with this morning. Mm. And this, this is going to sound fucking almost like a setup, but... <laughs> I woke up this morning and I reached across to get my phone and see what time it was. And I, I knocked something off my little bedside locker onto the ground. Right. And it just so happened to be a little uh, vial of homeopathic um, pills. Oh, what was the? Arnica. Was that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Homeopathic Arnica things. And I saw the word homeopathy and my bullshit detector just started pinging off the charts. And before I turned around to herself and said, ah, where did this bullshit come from? Fuck's sake, blah, blah, blah. It's like <laughs> a kind of a habit to, of doing. I said, no, cool your Jess Rano and get pick something that's written on this little label. There wasn't much written on it, but pick something, go online and debunk it, basically. For right. as give Find as plain an example as you can see. Don't let it be just my opinion of why this is nonsense. Have something solid to say, look, this is what you were conned into buying and this is why I'm using the word conned. And it was the, the dilution rate for the homeopathic remedy that she has inside there was I think 200 CC. And when I looked into that online and did the kind of maths on it, I found a great little analogy and it was, I'm going to butcher this, but the sentiment is, is correct in order for there to still be, what was it? If, if you gave this quote unquote medicine to somebody, not to somebody, if you gave it to 4 billion people once a second for 4 billion years, it was, sorry, it would take 4 billion years for one person to get one molecule of the substance that was in this uh, tablet that was supposed to be effective. Right. So let me just get that straight in my head again. You take a sample of 4 billion people, give them each... I think it was 4 billion tablets a second for 4 billion years. Something 
astronomical like that <laughs> for, a, for, for, a, for a molecule of, of this stuff to actually for the odds of this molecule to be in what it is that you're taking that's how that's how small the, the dilution rates were mm-hmm. so to me homeopathy in general I would see that as just complete and utter nonsense of the highest degree yeah. so you that's looking into that not just that obviously but that world yeah um now don't get me wrong I, I, another thing you mentioned there with mindfulness i'm all about being mindful all about it and yoga as well and a load of other different things but there are things like homeopathy that i think should be stamped out as opposed to encouraged mm. where are you on the whole homeopathy thing or well, that element of the healing world say? yeah i did a one-day workshop out in milltown so i can't really one way or another say that I'm in any way an expert or even really a novice like I just kind of said oh look I'll dip my toe and I'll go out and I'll see but uh really to me it's it kind of it seems to sort of um make a lot more sense than a lot of modern medicine does for example there was a nurse in the in the group she was there um because she was kind of losing faith in a lot of the pharmaceutical ways of you know treating things as on their own so she was kind of looking more into um, treating things with more natural remedies. There was another, um, there was a couple there who had gone to a homeopathic vet with their dog and had great success in treating a cancer that the dog had that the vet wasn't able to treat. And there, like, there was lots of kind of case stories and, you know, uh, kind of anecdotal stuff about people being kind of cured Um with natural remedies where pharmaceutical stuff didn't didn't work but for for me from in a very kind of fundamental sense like I think it makes sense that most kind of ailments or illnesses can be cured with natural remedies I mean all pharmaceuticals come from that anyway in one way shape or form so I don't know enough about it to say yes it's total bullshit or yes no it's you know I definitely stand over it I think I have a lot more to to read about it and learn about it but I think overall like the the science of it seems to be pretty sound like what you're talking about there with the homeopathy or yeah homeopathy yeah definitely like the the pills probably that that you find inside or any kind of homeopathic remedy it's what they are is essences of different things so the way that you do like you'd put um a substance in with you know uh, I think it's like some alcohol and water or whatever and you make a, a solution and you shake it and shake it and shake it a certain amount of times to get the, the essence of it into the the solution and that's what the, the they call it a, a remedy. That's what it is. So when, there's, when, you, when you say the essence, what, what do you mean when you yeah, say the essence? Like as in it's not like a concentrated, you know, drop of something. It's like whatever, um, like the the chemical essence of it I don't know enough about it I'm yeah. afraid I'm going to say something stupid no no no, no no but it's like kind of it's been likened to kind of quantum physics in terms of the way that it that it works again that kind of goes over my head a little yeah, bit yeah. I the day that I spent out there and the bit that I did learn made me think I want to know more about this and I want to kind of in a more practical sense like maybe go and see a homeopath you know for different things like I know definitely like lots of people have say um injuries or you know joint problems stuff like that and they use the likes of say arnica in a kind of a cream to put on the the joints and it does it works as well if not better than the likes of putting neurofen gel on it you know so yeah uh, even like things like aloe vera stuff like that like all of really really um strong healing properties and uh like again I like the 
it wasn't even really a day. It was like eight hours I spent in the presence of a person who's an expert in homeopathy. But it, it did make me want to learn more about it. Like, yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't dismiss it offhand um, and say that it's bullshit. Definitely well, I, I wouldn't dismiss it offhand and say it's bullshit, but I would dismiss it as say that it's not scientific and that it's it mm. claims to be a lot of things that it's certainly not. Now, I'm, I'm all about the natural uh, remedies and I'm all against the pharmaceutical route generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we live in a society these days that you get a painkiller for the stone in your shoe. Mm, and I, I think that's absolutely not the way to go on. You mentioned aloe vera, like literally behind me. Yeah. It's an, alo- <laughs> an aloe vera plant. I'm, I'm all about the natural remedies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, again, I'm... I'm, I'm Gen- generally opposed to the the kind of the, the pharmaceutical route. I think that mm. we distill down these properties f- far too. Uh, what's the word? We distill things down to their base level and f- forego all the other things that are in it. Like you, you see it with cannabis now. You can buy uh, distilled tetrahydrocannabinol in either a, a liquid or a pill form. And that's the psychoactive substance that essentially gets you high from cannabis. Yeah. But that forgoes the other, whatever it is, 50 or 100 or 200 other can- cannabinoids that are in the plant. Mm. And it, it just, it, it loses its the, the whole holistic ap- approach. And I'm, I'm all about a holistic approach, kind of taking taking things from nature as, they, as they've appeared in nature and not distilling them down to their 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 essence as such. But... The thing that bugs me about homeopathy is people hear about this idea of kind of alternative medicines mm. and they're like, oh, okay. And then they hear about homeopathy and they're like, homeopathy's bollocks. And then they write off, mm. you know, arnica gel and aloe vera and cannabis and all these other different things. So I don't know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that just kind of really grinds my gears. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's really interesting as well that people call anything but mainstream kind of um, medical stuff alternative because that stuff was around way before pharmaceuticals were around you know like natural medicine and especially like things like um chinese medicine acupuncture all those kind of things like alternative therapies that kind of that's a bit mad to me because that stuff was around first you know so is it not a case that the the medical stuff the modern medicine stuff that's actually more alternative than any of the other therapies really yeah but me, me that loves my sound bites I have one here alternative medicine that's been proven to work mm. is called medicine <laughs> do you know what I, know? Now, the, I know that's the, a the, very general sweeping statement I but well like lots of that other stuff has been proven to work and again like for me I think it's important to go and experience it for yourself. So like I sat in a room talking about homeopathy for a day. I thought it was really interesting, but I've ha- I've never been to a homeopath. Like yes. if I have, a, you know, if I break my leg or if I get cancer, I'm not going to be the homeopath is not going to be the first person <laughs> that I ring up. I mean, I'd, I'd certainly uh, do a bit of research and, you know, I'd, I'd be very open minded about it all. But like, obviously, I'm going to go and like take the route that's best going to serve me in order to get better but that I wouldn't uh, dismiss all that other stuff and just take uh, a medical doctor's advice in and of itself either I think lots of people kind of dismiss things without really ever experiencing them firsthand themselves like even in terms of um, like it kind of came up a little bit earlier on but like psychedelics like you know people who kind of have never tried them saying like oh that's all it's mad or it doesn't you know it doesn't like even 
let's say like kind of in extreme cases like uh, treating different illnesses and everything with um, psychedelics like some people think that that's a mad thing to do or they'd write it off and they'd say oh that's you know that's not the correct way to go about it or whatever but it's like how do you know if you've never tried it or like what like we I think we're very quick to dismiss a lot of things before we actually have first-hand experience of them ourselves. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that the the advances that have been made in uh, psychedelics, in particular, are just mm. absolutely outstanding. And it's a it's a it's a shame and a stain against humanity's reputation that we have forgone that research because we've made them illegal over the last number of decades. Like it's yeah. o- it's only now in in recent years that psychedelics have been essentially proven as again essentially a cure for things like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that yeah. and um, ecstasy as well I'm not sure what the, ex- the technical term for ecstasy is but there's a guy David Nutt are you familiar with David mm, Nutt he has that um, drugs without the hot air he has I'm not fam- what's that it's a book that uh, my housemate loaned to me about a year ago that I've never opened Right, <laughs> one of those. Like we many all of those. the books in my room, I'm great for uh, for borrowing books or buying books or whatever. Like they look great in your room, but uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't even opened it. But that's the name is familiar to me. Apparently, he's really good. No, no, <laughs> that's he, all he, I know. he's brilliant, and he's he's a, your kind of typical medical doctor goes the the um, the pharmacological route. But at the same time, will be again off the lead in, in my terminology. Do you yeah, like in the way yeah. he he's he's one for for results and not not anecdotal evidence because there, there was a, there's been a lot of anecdotal evidence about the likes of psychedelics and about uh, alternative therapies and Eastern medicine and, and all this. But he'd be more listen. Let's test your claims. Let's put up yeah. the, the clinical trials. Let's do the the placebo controlled double blind clinical studies and, and prove whether or not these things if there's any efficacy efficacy there we go (laughs) got there in it Um, now I think with just and not to go on about homeopathy too much I think homeopathy has failed all those trials that's my understanding yeah I don't know because I haven't read any of them or all of them or yeah like I definitely haven't so I I don't know enough about it to kind of really say one way or another like out of all the things that I have been kind of dabbling in that like that was literally just a one day thing and yeah, I thought yeah, no, it was course. cool and I thought yeah like I might go back to it but the um the guy that you're talking about there David not reminds me of do you know Dr. Carl Hart no uh so he is now let me see is he in Colorado or where is he he's a professor of psychology and other things um but he's this really really cool guy he's been on joe rogan a few times um black guy dreadlocks does not look like a professor of psychology like that you would kind of you know imagine that they should look like or whatever but he's uh he has a book called high price and he's like all these different talks that he's done about um uh, all kinds of drugs like meth heroin cannabis like all kinds of everything basically Travel the world, spent time in um, Scandinavia, a lot, especially in Finland and um, Portugal, all these kind of places where they kind of look at um, the harm caused by drugs and also how that links in with, um, let's say, social disadvantage and the criminal justice system. And especially in the states where the vast majority of people that are in prison, they're there for drug crimes where they probably shouldn't really be you know and he he talks about the fact that 
drug abuse should be treated as a health issue, not as a criminal issue. So if you have basically a load of people, um, say you've got 10 people who are taking drugs on a regular basis, whatever that drug is, whether it's heroin, whether it's cannabis, whatever it might be, um, maybe one of those people might have a problem with it. They might abuse it. They might It might affect their day-to-day lives. They might not be able to hold down a job. All the relationships get destroyed, whatever. That person shouldn't be treated as a criminal. They, they obviously have a, a health issue, whether it's a mental health issue, physical health issue, whatever. They all go hand in hand. You get them all eventually anyway when you have a problem like that. But he's a big advocate of um, like legalizing all drugs, which I would totally agree with, like legalize all the drugs um, and make it safer for people to do it responsibly and make sure that there's proper help and support available for people who can't do it responsibly or who, uh, for whatever reason, end up in a, in a situation where they're abusing substances, which I think makes an awful lot of sense. No, I'm I'm completely on board there. Like I, I have a, a view in relation to banning things generally. I, I don't I don't yeah. think things should be banned. Yeah. Like, f- full stop. Um, provided they're not obviously harming other people. Yeah. So if if you're taking a if you're taking whether it's a, a substance or, or whatever it is, I just I, I just generally or generally should I say, don't think that our government or the powers that be or whatever you want to call it has any right to tell us as autonomous individuals mm-hmm. what we can and can't do provided it's not you know harming another sovereign individual's right to to exactly. what they want to do like they have laws there to govern against people being assholes do you know what i mean so that's that applies whether you're you know under the influence of drugs alcohol whatever you're still not allowed to damage someone's property you're still not allowed to you know harm somebody else physically or you're not allowed to rob stuff those laws are there you know and the fact that you know the the government let's say are going oh you'll be more likely to do those things if you'd taken these substances now it's okay to drink the head off yourself that's fine because we've got loads of tax money from that you can smoke fags you can do whatever that's fine but you're not allowed to do these things because we think that that's going to make you more likely to break these other laws like what like that's a crazy situation to find ourselves in I think so like again going back to like if 10 people are taking drugs, all 10 of those should have the autonomy and the sovereignty as adult human beings to, to be able to do that if they want to. And nine of those people are going to be able to do so without any problems at all. And then the one person who does have a problem, I think that, yeah, that they should be supported properly and, and not criminalized and not ostracized because they have a health issue. No, no, That's big time. the way that I'd see it. I think Portugal has introduced that. They've decriminalised drugs, so you can have, I think it's up to like a 10-day personal supply on you without getting prosecuted for drug possession. But after that, then, they they kind of start coming down hard on it. But if you want to uh, smoke cannabis, if you want to do heroin, whatever you want to do, you're not going to be basically pulled into the justice system because of it. Yeah, you're pulled into the health system. Yeah, if if it's a if problem seemed, for if it's you. A, yes, of course. Yeah, and if you're not, then you just, then who cares anyway? You're not doing any harm to anybody else. Maybe you are to yourself, but probably not any more so than you would be drinking pints in the pub three or four times a week, you know? So I think really, like, from a societal point of view, like, we have a very, like, we, we do kind of live in a nanny state, you know? Like, it, I don't think Ireland is seen as such, but, like, under the EU umbrella I think we've become very much a nanny state like we don't have that much autonomy over 
what we do or what we're allowed to do or you know it's kind of it is all very heavily policed really yeah I think so and I think we have to take a, a certain part of the blame there as well because mm. and it's something that was kind of made made obvious to me when I started having these conversations because I'd ask somebody would they come on and they'd say they'd say no because they're they're afraid of number one what they'd say and number two the repercussions of what they said yeah, yeah. that you know someone was gonna was kind of going to come and get them yeah. do you know that kind of way we have this I don't know fear I don't know and I don't know if that's been I don't know if that's self-imposed or if it's been imposed on us by other people but we we do all have this kind of sheep herd mentality of you know not raising your head above the parapet and not saying something that might cause offence because you know the, the powers that be will will come down on you and handcuff you or something I, I don't know what yeah. the fear is but it, the fear seems to be there it's a, it's a strange I one I think it's a fear of being a abandoned in a way for some people that like if you express a, a particular opinion or a thought or uh, you know tell someone about a particular experience that's not kind of the status quo or might seem a little bit out there that there's a fear there that you're going to be sort of shunned a little bit as you know maybe uh not kind of playing the game you know so like think sometimes people are afraid to speak their mind because they don't know how the person opposite them is going to react and I think the biggest fear is not that they're going to be like oh you're wrong or anything else it's going to be that the other person is like oh fuck I don't want to talk to them anymore they've all those crazy notions do you know what I mean I think one of the biggest fears that most people have is of being abandoned whether it's by a close friend or by society in general or whatever like people just want to comfortably fit in and be be part of everything you know you don't want to be excluded well I think there's a, a real uh, deep ingrained evolutionary reason for that because oh, yeah, yeah. We, we grew up as kind of tribal people we we, we struggle like put it this way the, the great uh, example of that is in our prison system a form of punishment is solitary confinement so you're you're bundled in there with rapists and murderers and paedophiles and thieves and the the worst of our society (laughs) better than being on your own yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. absolutely Mm. so there's this i suppose deep sense of there's a deep need to be taken in by your community and, and feel part of a community and it's dangerous to have a I suppose a, a a thought that's contrary to the to the main group think for fear that you'll be ostracized from yeah. that group. But the, that's the beauty of the internet. I suppose you can mm. have your group. Your it's group still a can be worldwide. Thing, isn't it it is it's very much people so. People that are kind of not wanting, not necessarily not wanting to, but for one reason or another, aren't fitting into the main tribe. They're going off and making other little tribes, which is pretty cool. I think. Yeah, and I think I think that's what I've kind of tried to create at least here with this whole yeah. off the lead thing. It's a, it's something for like minded people to almost rally themselves around, and it, it's not the, it's not the psychedelics podcast, and it's not the fitness podcast, and it's not the musicians podcast. It's just Bit I don't know people them. people being themselves without fear of you know pissing people off. Because I suppose one thing that all the guests have had in common is. They're not afraid. They're not afraid. Full stop. They've 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 got balls because it does take balls to to mm. come on and put yourself out there and not knowing what you're going to talk about. You know, it's it's easier yeah. if if I brought you on and said, right, Joy, we're going to do an hour or two hours all on music. You come in and go, yeah, no problem. I can do that. But yeah. when we could be talking about, you know, homeopathy one minute <laughs> and you know, psychedelics the next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's just it's interesting. What 
getting back to the, the healing end of things and the mm. different elements what other ones because we, we'll move away from homeopathy because I don't yeah. know enough about I think it we've, we've definitely laboured that one yes so <laughs> what, what what are the other ones M- mindfulness what what do you see yeah. mindfulness and, and meditation um, yeah the, the main one that I'm really into at the moment is sound healing but it's all kind of relative like everything is um, it, it kind of goes back to sort of mindfulness and being in the present moment and you know all that kind of stuff I think that a lot of people um are kind of afraid of meditation because there's this kind of uh, idea out there that to meditate you have to be able to switch your brain off so you can't switch your brain off like your brain is always going if you, if you switch your brain off you're gone like yeah you stop breathing yeah, your you're, heart you're stop pretty beating. much dead so that's not a good thing like that's <laughs> definitely not good I think for, uh, for mindfulness is really um, being just sort of aware of uh, what's going on around you and like living in the present moment in, in terms of say I suppose in an extreme case if you're panicking or if you're feeling anxious or if you're feeling very um, just not good <laughs> that rather than uh, getting engulfed by that that you kind of like take a moment to like look around and like notice things around you so okay here's my room that's the light there's the window I'm looking out the window the world is not on fire out there everything's okay I'm bringing yourself back to to now and realizing that anything that's causing you any kind of discomfort or suffering is usually something that already happened in the past that you can do nothing about or it's something that may or may not happen in the future, which is pointless and, you know, to worry about anyway. So kind of bringing yourself always into the now because that's all you're sure of anyway. So doing things like meditation, yoga, um, even sometimes music can all kind of, you know, do that for you. Do you know, it's kind of been able to, uh, I think, not, as I say, not turning your brain off, but been able to step back from yourself and your thoughts in an objective, non-judgmental way. And I think that that's really key as well. So being able to kind of bring yourself into the present, recognise what thoughts are coming to your head. Like, I don't know about you, but like some of the thoughts I have are crazy. If I actually voice them out loud, people would think I'm absolutely proper moon. You know, I think most people are the same. So it's important to be able to see those thoughts coming and recognise them and either laugh them off or you know maybe address them does something come in like something that you're not happy with like whether it's something to do with anger or resentment or fear anything like that at all it's good to be able to kind of take your little step back and go oh that's how I feel about that I think that's okay or that's not okay I need to kind of address that and I think that's for me what what mindfulness and meditation is really all about is kind of yeah just recognizing what what's really going on in there and then either just accepting it and giving yourself a break or identifying things that you need to work on. And I think that that's what it's all about. For me, anyway, maybe other people might find it to be something totally different. No, no, I'd be, I'd be on the same page there. And there's a there's an element of introspection that a lot of introspection can be good, but certain types of introspection can be really, really fucking bad. We can, yeah, yeah. We can use... I think mindfulness can mindfulness awareness and being in the present moment can be used as a stick to beat ourselves with as well. Mm, do, you, yeah. do you know that kind of way? Like yeah, we can yeah. get too in our own in our own heads. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, have you seen the movie, an animated movie, Inside Out? No, I've heard. I've heard it's brilliant. I haven't seen it. It's yet, actually but. on. I only saw an ad for it on the telly yesterday. It's on this week on one of the Irish channels, but it's it should be available to to download for anybody that's listening. But the the concept is. 
the there's four or five main characters and they're all your emotions so fear anger uh loneliness whatever whatever the emotions are and it's the set for want of a better term of the of the movie is inside a little girl's head and every so often anger will take the controls oh, and so anger is in control of, of the child and i think mindfulness is a great way of just understanding who's holding the reins who who's in control you know and just being in touch with our emotions and realizing that we are i suppose fueled and driven and steered by our emotions because we are we're a big bag of emotions basically yeah, definitely. some sometimes some of them have more control over what we say and do than than others and i know angry frano is a fucking scary character do you know like i know <laughs> i never want to introduce angry frano to my you know fiance or my kid because yeah do you know like i know i think people become the angry joy or the angry frano and that they come home with that mm. and if you don't have the awareness to realize you know who you are in that present moment it can be quite detrimental to yourself and to to everyone around you definitely but i think you you made a really good point there about um you know you can kind of go too far with it as well in terms of uh like focusing too much on what's going on in in the mind and in the head and not what's going on everywhere else you know so like for meditation i think for me anyway like to to start off like and when I say meditation, that could be like sitting in a room. That could be like um, you, I don't know if you've ever been in a like flotation tank. Not like, yet. Oh, you need not to try yet. it. You need to try it definitely. It's not for everybody, but I think you'd really enjoy it. But can you sorry? Can you just lay that out for people who don't know what the hell you're talking about? Yeah, so it's um basically a sensory deprivation tank, or it can be a room. So it depends where you go. So there's actually the first time I was ever in one. It was in Navin. There's one down oh, in Bruce Hill. Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a lovely guy called John that runs that place in there. It's really, really cool. That's kind of, I suppose, a, more of a tank kind of situation where um, you go in, it's kind of just like a, a wet room, let's say. There's a shower and there's a whatever and that's, you lock the door behind you and you get naked and then you open the door of the tank and you go in and the, the water is kind of um, maybe up to your knee thereabouts. As you as you stand uh, in it, as you stand in okay. it, yeah, it might might even be that high up, but it's full of Epsom salts, and the temperature of it is the same temperature as your skin. Yes, so, your body temperature. Yeah, exactly. So um, you basically lie down in it and you float on it because of the the salt. Um, so you're not so when you're floating in it, uh, the room is completely dark as well, and it's soundproof, so you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, um, and you can't feel anything outside of your own self basically so you're not touching anything so it's it's like to just to flesh it out for people it's like lying in the bath yeah. but your arse or your back isn't actually touching the bath itself yeah. you're you are literally floating yeah and the it's a much bigger bath as well so you could be like a starfish and you won't touch the wall okay, well sometimes cool. you kind of move around a little bit <laughs> <whatever, What's> that? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> freak you out but generally speaking the idea is that you're not touching anything you're completely weightless you're not your body isn't having to do anything at yes. all except just be and exist so when you're do- there's the place that I go now I haven't been for a while actually but now that I'm t- talking about it, I'm going to book an appointment for next week or something but uh, that you can go in and you can have an hour of uh, floating in the tank followed by a massage or you could do, have the massage and then go into the tank as well. Harvest Moon Centre is the name of the place and it's absolutely deadly. Oh, where is this, sorry? Uh, on Bagot Street in Dublin. 
Harvest Moon Centre. Harvest Moon Centre. So if you just Google Harvest Moon Centre, up it'll pop. Yeah, exactly. So I'd highly recommend doing that, like if you go in, have a massage and then go in because then you're kind of already like really relaxed going in. Um, You can do like your little bit of mindfulness, like kind of checking in again, like observing your thoughts and stuff like that. But eventually, once you've kind of all that done, you kind of, then you sort of let go and you go into a a deeper level of... uh, I don't know if you'd call it consciousness or subconsciousness or I don't know, but it's like a deep state of relaxation and uh, and meditation. And it's at that point, I think that maybe that's what people talk about, like when they say you need to switch your brain off. I don't think it's really switching it off. It's just switching it to a different wavelength or a different a frequency, frequency or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's I'd highly recommend it to anybody who's been thinking about doing it. Just go and do it. It's absolutely class. I'm going to book one today. Yeah, I've been threatening to do it for ages. I'm going to book <laughs> one today. And I'm going to book your man in Navin because it, I'll do it quicker if I book it in Navin. Exactly. Who's yeah. your man? Give your man in Navin the plug. Uh, his name is John. Uh, I can't think of his surname. It's ages since I was in there. But it's the, the Natural Health Clinic on Bruce Hill. Um, so up across the road from O'Mahony's That's yes so if, if anyone's listening and they're in the Navin area if you google I suppose flotation tank Navin Bruce yeah. Hill something like that I actually think there's only there's only one in Dublin which is the place that I go to the Harvest Moon Centre and then there's the one in Navin I don't know if there's any other ones in Leinster even maybe even right. in the country I don't know there might be since the last time I looked it up but they're, they're very few and far between so even if you go flotation tank Ireland he'll probably come up Oh, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's really good. And feel free to uh, give me a no comment answer here. But would you get high and get into it? I don't really. I I wouldn't. Not that I never would, but mm. I haven't done. I've never done that. Yeah. But um, I know that it it is kind of recommended for people to to do it. But yeah, I've never. I never have. Yeah, you've never felt the need. You get enough out of it without basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely would probably give it a go, but no, I haven't done to to this point anyway. Yeah, no, I haven't done yet, but it's absolutely on my to do list, one hundred percent. Maybe go in definitely sober first. The first, like, of what course. I will say as well, the first time, I mean, you're going in and it's new, and you're going to be just thinking about it, you know, constantly. You're going to overthink it. You're going to be going, when does it get to this point? And you know, you're going to be, you're, you'll be definitely in your head a lot the first time. So don't just book one session and never go again like go and do the first one and then do another one and your second one will probably be a lot better than your first one yeah no absolutely of course to settle in because you don't really know it's not until you do something the second time if if you've only done something once you've only experienced the first time doing it yeah if that, if that makes sense absolutely yeah um but sorry how did we get talking about isolation tanks i feel like I cut across know. you or interrupted you we're talking about um meditation was it yeah, it could have been. Oh, look, we 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 it does we'll go on. Sure, the, who knows? The the different um <laughs> the different alternative practices say so. We kind of we we touched on homeopathy and meditation and mindfulness, uh, and even the flow tanks sound. Oh yeah, so that was the thing. So yeah, in terms of meditation, like what I was talking about was kind of going that deeper level. So kind of starting off by acknowledging what's in your head and kind of doing that bit of work, but then going beyond that, like letting that kind of wash over you then and sort of going into the the sort of the next level and that's where I think um sound healing and sound therapy comes in so 
again, I'm very like I'm in like the baby infants class of all of this stuff. Like I'm just totally new to all of it. So I'm saying like my very limited experience of all this stuff so far, um, which has been really, really positive and maybe might make people go and like look it up themselves or get into it more themselves. But they're definitely not going to get any really concrete information from me. <laughs> but, but, but brilliant. I, I love that. I, yeah. I love to hear. I love hearing from people who've dabbled in things as opposed to people who are experts, because people who've dabbled in things will give you an interest mm. and let you make up your own fucking mind. Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? Sure. So, um, so sorry again. So yeah. So the, the sound healing thing, uh, Basically, I, I went and did a two day course, like a level one course in sound healing in the Celtic School of Sound Healing. And um, so it's a place out in Swords. And uh, the lady that does a Carmel Divney, she has a background in all kinds of like sort of Celtic shamanism, sound healing, like loads of different cool things. She's an amazing lady. And uh, the the stuff that she was kind of teaching us was all to do with uh, using the voice and using uh, the likes of singing bowls and tuning forks and um, various kind of percussion instruments and, uh, you know, kind of working with sound on a very basic level uh, to achieve healing. So, for example, uh, each of, like, you know, that you have energy centers all around your body or whatever. So the seven main ones, so your seven chakras. Which I don't know if you know much about this. Again, I don't, I'm I'm kind of new to all this too. But um, so you have seven energy centers. So they go from like your root chakra, which is like basically where your ass bone is, like your coccyx. That's your like root chakra, and then they go all the way up your your body up as far as your crown. So that's your the, the top chakra, or whatever. So and then there's five in between. So each of those energy centers it resonates more with particular notes on a scale. So for example, if you think of like a piano. Uh, and you go to the middle note, the middle C on it. That's the note that resonates most with your your root chakra. Okay. And he, as you go up the body, it goes almost like up a scale on a on a piano. So it goes do 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 do. Very bad scale. Um. <laughs> so it does that. So each note has a particular frequency, and each frequency has a particular resonance with that part of your body. And each of those energy centers has, um, things that are associated with it. So it could be types of um feelings or. Um, different emotions, different kind of aspects of your life, let's say. And those energy centers can get kind of clogged up or get uh, blocked or stuff, different stuff can kind of mess with them as you're, you go about your day-to-day life. So with sound healing, what you can do is you can kind of diagnose which, you know, part of your body is kind of struggling a little bit energetically. And you can use the likes of a singing bowl or your voice or a tuning fork or any of these kind of instruments to to retune those energy centers and get them back into balance again. So, again, this is the kind of stuff that I would say, like, you know, if you're listening to this going, oh, that's all a load of bollocks, like go and check it out. Maybe have a sound healing uh, therapy done on you or go and research it a bit, because it is actually quite scientific the way that it all kind of works. Um, like even in terms of like um ancient civilizations like the Egyptians with the pyramids and stuff. There's a lot of kind of um, theories now that a lot of these places were built for resonance of sound so that people who were kind of chanting within them or using different instruments within them, that they were uh, basically designed so that the the echoes and the overtones and the harmonics of all these different sounds would have a, a healing effect on the body, which is pretty cool. But even if you think about... um 
like ultrasound. So you that's recently had a baby. So yeah. you did well not you didn't have the baby. <laughs> <laughs> you were involved. <laughs> um but you would have went to get a scan um probably in the hospital or whatever. And the way that that works, the ultrasound, uh what happens is the the implement that's used, let's say, it sends um sound waves essentially down into the cells, reverberates and that's what creates the picture, which is the sonogram. So that in itself is just incredible in terms of how like frequencies and sound can be used to like manifest like physical uh, effects even in the form of a picture or an- another example could be that they can use um different frequencies to help to um to cure kidney stones to break up kidney stones and to shrink tumors and stuff like that you use kind of different um vibrations and frequencies to do all of that so sound healing it's like very very broad but it's kind of um i suppose the 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 thing that got me into it was thinking about music and why music is so important to so many people and why it resonates with so many people and in terms of if you listen to a happy song and you're in a good mood or if you're, you know, if you listen to a sad song or if you listen to even like real angry music, you know, punk music, whatever, it has an effect on you. And I suppose with the the sound healing basics, what they're doing is kind of stripping back all of that and it's kind of showing you why it's having an effect on you and how it's having an effect on you. So, for example, the certain key that it's in could be affecting a particular part of your body, which is associated with certain feelings. So it's on a very, very basic level, like one note can make you feel this way or, you know, invoke this kind of uh, a feeling in you. And then an overall song is kind of doing that on a much, much grander scale, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it does. Absolutely. Like, all you have to think of is the that kind of that tune in Jaws, you know, the. I don't know. It's, I really don't know. But uh, I must have watched it recently or something. But but, you know, that 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 that, that piece that. Nobody, I don't think, has ever listened to that and went, oh, what a lovely tune. Yeah, you, know, you listen it's, to it and go, oh, a, fuck. It's a fearful <laughs> yeah. tune. It's like, fuck. And it, yeah. it's, it, that's, that's fascinating. And I love, I love that. Um, and I think we're very much in our infancy of... That, that, that to me, is a, a very new area ripe for discovery. Do you know that kind definitely, of way? And definitely. especially because of the way it's been kind of... It's, it's very easily dismissed as bollocks. Yeah. Uh, and I'd be... I'm I'm not as quick to jump the gun as I used to be, but that that area uh, that you you just kind of outlined there would be fascinating to me. Re- it really, really would, and uh, I think it kind of flies in the face of kind of the more traditional stuff and the, especially the pharma- pharmacological route. Yeah. But is there anywhere in like where? Where could you go to get this? Where was that place that you went? Is that was that in Ireland or where yeah, was it? Yeah, it, Ar- it was out in Swords. Okay. Um, but there's somewhere much closer to home. So up at the Hill of Tara, which is like, my favorite place in the whole world for lots of reasons. But um, they have a little open studio up there. So you've got Maguire's Coffee Shop, and then kind of a little bit further down, you've got this little kind of. It, it doesn't look like much from the outside. It looks like a little kind of old cottage or something like that. But um, it's kind of all revamped and turned into this. Um, yeah, it's called Tara Open Studio and downstairs is kind of an art gallery. There's an amazing artist up there called Courtney Davis and he runs the place basically. So some of his art is there on display and it's kind of like, you know, a little sort of um, like a little hippie shop, you know, like they have crystals and incense and cool clothes, all that kind of stuff. And then you go up the stairs and there's this gorgeous room and it's all kind of done out like in gorgeous art and lovely rugs and then they've got big gongs on the the walls as well and like just a a lovely little 
sacred space basically that's what it is and they do loads of cool stuff up there like they do um like meditation sessions there's a guy he'd be a good friend of mine rob hayes uh who i did a, a nine week meditation course with him it wasn't really meditation it was kind of meditation i suppose like shamanic healing kind of thing and um, he does a lot of stuff up there he does like regular kind of um wednesday evening meditations that you can kind of book in for or whatever it's like a two-hour thing um or there's other people that do like uh sound baths which i think sounds really nice it's like a bath of sound okay. <laughs> so uh what they would do in that case would be like yeah some sort of like a little meditation to kind of get you all sort of relaxed and everything you'd be lying on the ground on a mat with a blanket all comfy uh, and then they start using these kind of different instruments so whether it's drums rattles uh gongs tuning forks um all different types of of stuff. There's a, another instrument called a shruti box that sometimes they would like a drony kind of a noise, um, and they basically like just bathe everybody in sound. So it's kind of like a, a a type of meditation or a type of sound healing as well, which is pretty cool. So there's probably loads of other places as well that um like if people Google sound bath or you know sound healing or you know meditation anything like that at all it's it's all out there to be found if you go looking for it for sure and i definitely recommend going up and doing that stuff at the hill of tara it's a perfect place to do it and is there a website for that place you mentioned yeah they're on facebook anyway tara open studio um there might be a website well look know. tara open studio is, will get them on facebook yeah if they have yeah. a website that the link will be there but again that's the, the beauty of getting people in from like the different loops you're opening up a whole world of things sound healing and all sorts of stuff <laughs> yeah. to people which is which is really cool yeah but you mentioned something there you the, the kind of hippie vibe of that place yeah that can be very off-putting, I think, mm. to a lot of people. So sure. you talk to me, let's say, or anyone about this idea of sound healing and uh, the different chakras and that, and you can you can lose people very quickly. Mm. But the few that do stay, so I, I'm I'm hanging in there and I'm going to go on. Okay, right, yeah, okay, I'm, okay. So it sounds kind of a bit kind of woo woo, you know, a bit, bit, bit airy fairy, and <laughs> a little bit harsher. But no, look, I'll I'll I'll, I'll give it a chance. I'll give it its dues, and then you walk in and. Uh, there's people sitting on the floor and there's rugs on the wall and it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, do you yeah. know kind of way? There is all of that, but what I will say is that the um, the nine-week course that I did with Rob, um, I think I was probably the youngest person there. Uh, I'm 31. Am I 31? 32? 31. Yes, 31. <laughs> um, and it was people of kind of all ages, all backgrounds, uh, men and women, everybody there for kind of different reasons, different motivations, all but the one thing in common that they were there to try and improve themselves or improve something or, you know, be get better. You know, that's when you go to these things, that's that's the one thing that everybody always has in common, that everybody's there to try and either get better at, at something or be better in general, which is lovely. So if you kind of get past the wind chimes everywhere and the dream catchers all yeah, over yeah, the all place, that stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. all that kind of crack. Um, I mean, I love all that stuff, but I know it's not for everybody. But if you kind of sort of get through all of that and just uh, just give it a chance, let, yeah, you'll be sitting on the floor and yeah, there'll probably be, you know, um, sort of airy fairy conversations or whatever. But once you get into it and you get past all of that and just give it a chance, it's really, really, really beneficial. Yeah, no, I must check them out now because again, I'm 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 into kind of self improvement and finding out new things about new people and stuff and, and all, all that. It's it's all good stuff, and I think there's a real there's a real appetite for that kind of stuff these days, more so than ever. There yeah. seems to be these things like you know flotation tanks and and sound healing and uh, 
all these different things they seem to be kind of popping up all over the place and I think it's because people are people are fed up with the bullshit of modern life and they're yeah. kind of getting bored and frustrated with it and they're getting back to getting back to basics basically yeah there was something I don't know if I heard this recently or if I came up with it myself <laughs> in uh, some sort of a thought <laughs> at some point but this kind of and it, it keeps coming back to me but it's just inward is the way forward so and I think what it means to me again I don't know if I stole it from someone or if I thought of it myself but like I think a lot of people are getting very frustrated with our like political system at the moment and there's all like the health crisis we've all these different crises going on in the country at the moment and people are looking at the people in power going they're not doing anything about it they don't care in fact they're literally just you know lining their pockets and allowing all this to happen I think people are becoming more aware of the fact that you know you you can take control of your own life so in a systemic kind of a way okay you know the government stuff is is important but in your day-to-day life like Leo Varadkar is not going to um, be responsible for your happiness in a, a day-to-day sense. Do you know what I mean? And he, nor should he be. But like a lot of people are getting so disillusioned and disenfranchised with how all that stuff is going that they're kind of, they're sort of uh, just fed up of it to the point that they're kind of looking more to their immediate surroundings and to the, their own selves. And they're kind of going, well, what can I do here to make my own life a bit better. I can't, you know, get all those hundreds of people off hospital trolleys up in, you know, the hospitals or whatever. But maybe I can improve my attitude about what I can do. Or maybe I can, you know, I think people are just, I don't know if it's even conscious for a lot of people, but I think, you know, there is definitely this big kind of movement of people coming very much back to basics and wanting to spend more time in nature. Like, you know, if they're living in the city, they'll go off somewhere where there's grass and a beach at the weekends because they're connecting more with nature and more with themselves and more with their, you know, their immediate surroundings, which I think is how we will make all of this stuff much better. If everybody was doing a little bit of work on themselves then the whole world would be a much better place rather than looking all the time at the the people that are sitting in the doll or wherever looking to them to make everything better if you're if you're looking to improve yourself you're going to inspire others around you to improve themselves and if everybody is constantly doing that little bit then everybody will be moving in the right direction really i might just cut the last 60 seconds or so and have it as an ad for this podcast <laughs> Ser- I seriously because like, that was a load of shit I'm going to cut it out completely cut it out completely no definitely no 100% I could not agree with you anymore if I tried I genuinely couldn't mm. and I think that we, we and I, I keep harping on about this message of you know we're we're in control we're steering the own we're steering our, our, our own ships like do you know that kind of yeah. way I've been harping on a lot recently about this idea of how you create your own reality and guess what? Other people live in that reality. So why not create a good reality for your fucking self and everybody around you and just disengage with, you know, politics and the media and the news and the radio and all that is just nonsense. That's just bad noise. Do you know that kind of way? That's just, it's, it's nothing. It's to be, it's to be ignored. Uh, work on yourself and get your own fucking shit together before you start going out and criticising the world clean up your room clean up your room <laughs> yes this is both yeah, what, what yeah. we're both saying that there's echoings of himself Mr Definitely. Peterson yeah, there absolutely yeah, is sure. and there's no it's it's no it's no wonder why he's exploded in popularity um, for those of you that don't know who the fuck I'm talking about it's a guy called Jordan Peterson We he came up briefly um, before we came out and started doing this podcast 
How would you introduce somebody to him? I told you that he was on Tinder. I thought that's what you were Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. You met him on Tinder. Brilliant. Yeah, I swiped right. So did he. <laughs> I messaged him. He didn't message me back. <laughs> I'm heartbroken. But so who is your? How did you... Because... In order, you, you said you, that you saw him. You saw him on Tinder, but that obviously wasn't your no, first. No, was some lad after making up the profile. I just course. thought it was hilarious. As I was like, I'm going to swipe right and see what happens. I just wanted to congratulate him and be like, "This is hilarious," and that's I did that, and that was it. You put like your, we were not going on a date or anything. I can, I can only assume. I can only hope that so many people swipe right that you got lost in the a mass of people. I hope so. I hope so. Um, but <laughs> how did you get introduced to him in the first place? Um, through Joe Rogan. Yeah, like most people, I think. Yeah, definitely. So there was, um, there was some like I I'd subscribe to Joe Rogan, and I think, uh, whatever the tagline was on it, I can't even remember what it was, but it was something, like it was kind of don't push the red button kind of esque thing. It was kind of like if you don't like this, this will make you angry. It was something like that. It was re- like real clickbaity, to be yes, honest. Yes, But it fucking worked on me. I thought <laughs> about, it works. who is this guy? And what's he, <laughs> how is he going to make me angry? So I went into it and um, it was just after there was all that stuff in the university where he was after getting into loads of trouble because of the, um, the pronoun stuff or whatever. So I thought this is really interesting. I fully expected that this guy is going to be a horrible person. Um, He's going to make me very angry. He's going to be anti-everything I believe in and stand for. And about 20 minutes in, I thought, this man is brilliant. Like, why? What? What is people's problem? Do you know what I mean? I just couldn't get why he was under um such fire about all this stuff. I kind of just thought he's a very, um first of all, like incredibly smart guy, like very, very intelligent, very like the man's a genius I think probably you know and just a really good understanding of um the nature of people and especially the nature of people that we all wish we didn't have in us you know like that kind of um he talks about the shadow side and all of that and he kind of says a lot of things like he talks about like he stereotypes a bit you know what I mean but he does that from his clinical research Mm. and from his um you know, from all, all the experience that he has, he'll say, you know, say men of this particular type are more likely to do this or women in this position are more likely to do that. And I think nowadays that gets really, that gets people's backs up because they don't like to be kind of put into um, a group, let's say, or um, they don't want to be pigeonholed. Yeah. So, and he does pigeonhole, but it's, it's, uh, it's fr- like from a place of superb knowledge about, you know, these kind of, groups of people but anyway when I was watching that um that particular podcast it was whatever three hours long I went straight on to his own channel then and like watch all of his videos and listen to loads of his podcasts and he can just do no wrong really in my eyes like I just think he's an incredible man I think everybody needs to listen to him no, no, I, I, I he couldn't. doesn't pay me. I'm not getting paid to say this. <laughs> Again, I couldn't agree more. I would disagree with one thing that you said, though, when you referred to him as a, as a genius, or you might have said kind of a genius, mm. because there's there's an element of what he's saying, to me at least, that I find really, really fucking basic. Do you know that kind of way? Like nothing overly insightful. It's it's insightful because you only because you haven't heard of it before. But Maybe. once you once you kind of go down it, it just it just makes so much sense to me. It's just so so kind of basic I suppose is the word for it but mm. the the genius in it is that 
only forum I wouldn't have been aware of it as basic yeah. as basic as it is do you know that kind of way yeah um, I think it's the way that he rationalises things and the way that the thought process that he has about it like when he's been interviewed he'll take a little pause and you can almost see the cogs turning yes. in his head and that's why I think he's a genius it's the it's the process that he uses to come up with the stuff that he says it's it just the way that his brain works is absolutely incredible it's so rational and I think that what you're saying there about it being so basic is so true but that's very true about a lot of things like if you ever have a revelation about something it's usually well for me anyway if I do it usually feels like I haven't really learned something I've remembered something or yes. I've you know relearned something yes. and I think that his ability to make you feel like that when you're listening to what he's saying is is genius in and of itself. I think he's an amazing communicator and the way that he articulates himself is at a level that you don't see all the time. You know, Th- like, that now I, I would agree with you. Yeah, so that's, I suppose, that's kind of what I meant by I think he's a genius. He's, and have you been tidy in your room? Yeah, I keep my room very tidy. <laughs> <laughs> I also mess it up a lot, but I do. No, I, I like... I would always make my bed before I leave the house in the morning. Like I wouldn't go- leave my room without making the bed and I would like kind of keep it fairly tidy. And I do find that if, if it is a bit messy, like my room, my house, whatever, my office, where like my space, if it's really messy, it affects me in a big way. Definitely. It makes me kind of, I don't know, antsy or nervous or something like that. I much prefer a tidy space. Yeah, no, I I think most people will kind of get that that if their if their car is dirty or if or even I suppose that the time when you really notice it is, you don't notice it when your house or your bedroom or your car or your office you don't notice it when it's a mess, you notice it when you tidy it all up and you sit down and you just go, ah, yeah, definitely. That that's when you notice you're like Jesus Christ that really was because I find it here. Uh, like the lawn is annoying me at the minute because I haven't been able to mow it. Well, it's covered in snow now. If, yeah, well, so yeah, that's very <laughs> true too. I'm off, I'm off the hook today, exactly. <laughs> but like when the when the he- when the hedges are kind of pushing out over the driveway a little bit more than they should, and the, the lawn hasn't been um, mowed as recently as it should, that stuff kind of gets in on your psyche a little bit. I Definitely. think, yeah. and uh, I think that's one thing that that kind of Peterson has made me that bit more aware of is that how how we're affected by our environment and how we're in control of our environment. Yeah. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, and but that's it, what I think a lot of people don't like to hear. Like, that you don't, people don't like being told, um, yeah, your life is a little bit shit at the moment, but you probably have a lot to do with that yourself. That's not a nice thing to hear. People don't want to acknowledge that. And I'm not saying that that's the case in every situation, but a lot of people are unhappy for reasons that are well beyond their own, well, you know, within their own control. But sometimes when you're in that frame of mind, you don't want to hear about solutions or how things can get better. You just want sympathy or you want somebody to go, yeah, no, you're right to feel like that. And yeah, you, you know, you're you should feel like shit. It's OK to feel like shit rather than going, well, maybe if you got up off your arse and did A, B and C, everything else would improve drastically and I think there's a big element of that in what what he talks about Jordan Peterson it's a big kick up the hole to a lot of people and often people don't want that kick up the hole they just want to kind of wallow for a little while and be told that it's okay like they've they've got they're justified in in how they're feeling which I think is really detrimental to people sometimes no absolutely and I think that's why you see a lot of outward anger against the government or the man or yeah. the patriarchy or what you know whatever it is the one percent 
the ruling class, call it what you will, there's a lot mm. of talk about what they're doing wrong and how we can't get by and a little bit of fucking introspection and a little bit of, you know, realising that, you, again, you're in control of your own kind of life and your own destiny. Mm. Mo- to mo- a certain, more, to Of a course, of course, extent, to a degree, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. But we, we, I genuinely do think that we kind of create our own reality and our, our outlook is, is everything. Um, if you if there's a great quote, I think it's a Henry Ford quote, whether or not you think you can or can't do something, you're, you're right. right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's 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 great. It's a real salesy thing. I've got you worked in sales. Oh, that's like stuff, something yeah. that's on the the notice board and the sales training room. It's it's funny. <laughs> there's something that just re- I've recently started thinking about this kind of we we often hear about this kind of Eastern wisdom, hmm. but I think Western wisdom has been. Uh, demonized to a degree because it's like oh when did you le- when did you learn that was it at your uh team building exercise at work or something like you know this thing like there's no i in team it's like oh roll your roll the eyes and you're just fucking <laughs> boring but if that was you know written in chinese and translated it's like oh yeah the, the wisdom of the east you know yeah, yeah. and i think there's a lot of kind of western um western wisdom that has been tainted by that kind of self-help bullshit mm, yeah um but aside from peterson is there anybody else that springs to mind as a kind of a, as an influence on just your your way of thinking either recently or in the past or yeah um there's a few different people like alan watts i haven't get into alan watts oh he's a fa- oh, his voice if nothing else even if you think what he's saying is total nonsense just listen to his voice but that's what I, that's <laughs> why i can't just, get into oh, him i he's amazing i well it was amazing um yeah, I, like, what have you been? Have you read any of his books, or have you been looking no, at them online? No, I'm not or? a massive reader. I, I listen to things endlessly, and with Watts, when I listen to him, he tends to talk. Does he? Does he do a yeah, lot of that? I and love that kind of puts me off. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way he. Uh, I just love the way he speaks. Same with like Terence McKenna. Again, like what he's saying is amazing, but I even I enjoy even more so the sound of his voice like I just think it's amazing Alan Watts has a book um called The Way of Zen and you can get it on Audible and I'd highly recommend I think I actually sent it to Ivor uh, when I was finished listening to it because um, I'd say if it was on pages in front of me I probably would have given up halfway through it because I just I've, I don't have good concentration I don't don't I need to learn to read good <laughs> but uh, on Audible it's, it's a really good one to kind of just listen to in the car or um, just yeah, a little bit a day. It's I'd highly recommend it. Like, no, no, I'll some definitely really, really good wisdom in there. I'll I'll definitely give it a go. But what's the key things? Because we kind of mentioned what Peterson has given both of us. But what has Watts given you? Say yeah. So he talks about um consciousness a lot and the idea of God, um, and God being the universe or the collective consciousness. And um, he would talk about like there's a quote in the book that I loved. Um. He, he talks about different Eastern philosophies and different uh, religions and stuff like that. But he's talking about Hinduism and he says Hinduism is uh, God playing hide and seek with himself. And he's just loads of like really good little quotes like that. But the the main, I suppose, um, sentiments that I take from him is it basically just to do with uh, not living in the mind as well. Like that, you know, kind of learning to acknowledge what's going on in your mind, but not living there in in a broader sense that like kind of focusing more on your intuition and what's what's what you feel rather than 
what you think. Now that's a very, very basic little synopsis of yeah, Alan no, of Watts. Like he's a very, very well-read, incredibly intelligent man. Um, he brought, like, he was kind of one of the first people to really bring Eastern philosophy to the Western world in a way that people could really understand it. But he was very kind of um, anti-capitalism, not anti-capitalism, but um, anti-buying too much into capitalism. Yes. Uh, very anti-television. Uh, or again, like, too much television. And uh, just more kind of... Um, like very into the taking personal responsibility for your own life like I really think you'd like him if you if you kind of got into him well, you, you, you hit all the right notes there with the few yeah. things you just said absolutely yeah yeah no I definitely think you would and does he narrate his own audiobook no unfortunately oh I'm, I'm imagine my disappointed <laughs> oh my god I was heartbroken um no it's some American guy and he does a perfectly fine job he's he's no Alan Watts but uh, <laughs> but it was if like probably good for you that he doesn't then because you'll be able to listen to it a bit easier it's funny though because there's a lot of people that kind of fall into that the, the way Watts spoke Alistair Campbell was kind of the same have you gone down an Alistair Campbell is it even Alistair Campbell I don't know I might I be know. getting the first name I'm fairly sure it's Campbell Joseph Campbell there we go I have um, the hero with a thousand faces in my audible at the moment I'm about maybe I thought I was about a third of the way through it but it's got like it's like 13 hours or something ridiculous right. like it's long um, but I can't remember maybe it was Jordan Peterson mentioned it and I was like oh I want to you see I walk to work and home so I rather than um, listen to traffic on the way down North Circular <laughs> Road I usually stick on Audible or a, a podcast or whatever so I'd recommend that to anybody who's commuting or walking anywhere on a regular basis like queue up something to listen to on your way there and back it's a great way to kind of just get it in there yeah but uh, I was listening to, the, to, to Joseph Campbell on, on my way to work and it was too much I'd get to work and I'd be like I'd take my headphones out and I was like just kind of mind blown it was just is not it wasn't good for the, the time that I was listening to it so I need to kind of go back to it in a different frame of mind it's not good for when you just first wake up in the morning put it that way it's not that kind of it's not that kind of book it's heavy <laughs> it's heavy yeah, very yeah. heavy yeah there's a lot going on a lot going on um, but what were you going to say about him Um, about who sorry about, about Joseph Campbell yeah I think Campbell Watts and Aubrey Marcus would be the uh, the other guy that springs to mind I love Aubrey Marcus but they all have that same kind of way of speaking it drives <laughs> me nuts I don't know what it is but it's so funny because all, all, the people who are kind of Ivor is a touch of it as well. That that kind of slow and calm, and it's it's the, it's almost a stereotypical yeah. voice of somebody who's running a, a kind of a a meditative group. And that there's something I don't know what what that is. It could is. be just somebody who's used to meditating a lot. You know that they kind of take their time with their with everything that they're saying. Like you know they're not like up to ninety all the time trying to get all yeah. this stuff out. It's just that it's it's more kind of measured and calm the way that they're that they're speaking. I don't know, maybe not. I no, 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 you, no, it, 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 it sounds a bit right because all those people, they have, a, what they have in common is that they're very, they're very, they're all very thoughtful people, I think mm. it's fair to say. And they've all Definitely. would have had more than enough kind of introspection and they're all very comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. And maybe they don't have to talk about 100 miles an hour to get the point across. Blah, 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 do you know that kind of way? They're, they're more yeah. relaxed and they can take it. I don't know, there's something patronising is probably too far too strong a word but there's there's an element of that in, in all of them I think mm. but um, 
I'm sure it's not an intentional. I think it is more kind of like if you're speaking to somebody who's like really, you know, wired or whatever, then you, you kind of match that with your own energy. Likewise, yeah. if if you're speaking really slowly and calmly and taking time to get your words out, you're basically inviting the other person to do the same thing. So it's kind of a way to sort of um, calm people as well, I think, and to kind of bring people into the the present moment of the conversation. Yeah. Do you listen to uh, Blind Boy Boat Club by any chance? I've only just joined the Blind Boy Boat Club party. <laughs> <laughs> that chap is fucking mean. He is, but isn't he's he? he's brilliant. He's brilliant. I really am enjoying his podcast. I've only... Um, the first one I heard was the one that where he interviewed Kevin Barry. I was Dolan. at that. You were actually at that one. Yeah, he read out my question. I was delighted with myself. What question did you ask him? I, it was about Barry. It was about how I'd read on his Wikipedia page that he has a like an enormous ego, like an like a astronomically big ego. He wants to be the best writer in the world yeah, and wants to kill good. every other writer. Kind of like you know pathological ego. Right. Uh, but I asked, was that instrumental in? being the great writer that he is now is is it almost necessary to like you know is the ego gets a bad rap i think as does, yeah. as do a lot of things um but i just wanted to know what the utility in having a big ego was so that that was basically my question right but um yeah i'm, I'm blind boy so the first one you listened to was when he was down in, in dolan's in limerick yeah and yeah i thought that one was brilliant and then i kind of went back to the start and i think i'm maybe three in from the start now yeah. so I love his short stories like they're absolutely brilliant yeah, he's I'm an not, incredibly talented writer it's funny I'm not gone on his short stories really yeah I love him I'd listen to him endlessly Um, I, I, I like his short stories but I don't know it's just it wouldn't be the highlight for me by any stretch of the imagination and look I'm not saying they're bad or good or it just doesn't it float my boat for whatever <laughs> but the reason that I mentioned him was that whole podcast hug that he gives you've heard him mention that yeah, have you yeah the ambient music and all yeah, that and, kind of stuff and yeah, just yeah. the way the way he, he speaks nice and slowly and, and all the rest of it and he gives a, a podcast hug and I think people are kind of craving that mm. it's it's a little hour a week of what you were saying there a minute ago about, about these other guys and how they speak when they speak calmly and collectively and purposefully you do you absolutely do kind of go okay right yeah relax everything's everything's not going 100 million miles an hour and that's what people crave and that's what people love is this podcast hug that he's created yeah and i found with the solo the few solo ones podcasts that i've done i'm not like that at all i I tend to be quite riling and fast and kind of in your face and I'm starting to think that my solo episodes are a podcast kick up the hole as opposed to a podcast hug, if that makes yeah. that makes sense. It's just but something that I'm are, kind of tying with. Equally uh, valuable, I think. Oh, yeah. There's you don't n- want to nuns. just be hugged all the time. Yes. You don't, yeah. you don't want to be kicked up the hole <laughs> yeah. all the time either. But nice it, balance. <laughs> but, it, but you're right there. And you, balance, is a, balance is such an important thing. And you nailed it there just with the word balance because... I tend to give myself a kick up the hole far too often. And I mm. think some people tend to give themselves a podcast hug far too often. Do you know that yeah, kind of way? Yeah. You, you need a bit of, you need a bit of both. And there's, there's balance. That's where the balance kind of comes in. Definitely. Yeah. Um, because you'd be fairly balanced because you're, <laughs> wouldn't you? Well, you're, I don't know, Jesus. Well, look, you're, you're recording an album. You're, you know, you're a musician. You've got your artistic talents that you're kind of focusing on. Plus, I'm sure you, you have a job and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you pay your bills and you're into all these different things and you're, you're you know, there's, there's, there's a certain amount of balance there. Yeah, I suppose there is. 
Um, what was I going to say? We mentioned psychedelics a couple of times. Hmm. You, I think, I've, I don't know if it was Ivor or Kev that was telling me, had a different experience with the psychedelics. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you had a different experience than, say, Ivor. Yeah. Can we talk a bit about that? Because I'm just conscious of, of not, not getting to that, and I think it's an important one, and yeah. one that kind of encapsulates a lot of what we've been talking about for the past while. Sure. So yeah. how did that come about? So, um, I'm trying to think of how far back to go. Well, I had heard about um, ayahuasca years ago um, through a friend of mine um, who had gone out to the Amazon a couple of times and I remember him telling me about it and I thought, that sounds absolutely horrific. Like, why would anybody go and do that to themselves? It's absolutely crazy. Uh, and then as kind of years went on, I sort of, like through different experiences I had myself, I became more intrigued by it and I kind of started to understand why maybe people would do it. And I kind of, you know, thought to myself, maybe kind of my mid-twenties, that it, it, it was something that I would kind of like to do at some point. Go out to Peru. And I'd always wanted to go to Peru anyways, even from when I was a little kid. Like the Incas and all that kind of stuff really interested me. I had an uncle living in Paraguay in South America. And I remember reading encyclopedias all about um, South America in general and all the, like the history and all that kind of stuff. So it was always kind of there in the ether somewhere that I wanted to go and, and explore Peru at some point um, and then kind of life got in the way and I never really did it and then um, Ivor who is uh, my little sister's fiance um, soon to be baby daddy they've got a baby coming in the next right, month yeah. uh, it's her birthday today actually so happy birthday Elaine if you do hear this well you won't hear it today but anyway um, <laughs> so anyway they were living in Australia for four years and uh I think it was really over there that Ivor kind of got into a lot of the stuff that he'd be into now. So, you know, meditation. Um, he hates the word spirituality, I think. I was going to say spirituality. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a cringy word, but you know what I mean. Uh, but consciousness and uh, the exploration of consciousness and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's where Ivor kind of got into a lot of that or sort of developed his uh, interest in it. And when they were coming back from Australia, he had decided um, or they had been home, I think, for a trip. Maybe it was for Christmas or something like that. And that's when he had told me about Joe Rogan and uh, told me about Graham Hancock and all this. Like kind of gave me a few little sort of signposts um, to different people and different subjects or whatever that he'd been kind of looking into. So then they went off back to Australia and when they were coming back home for good, he decided that he was going to go to Peru uh, so Elaine was going to come home he's going to go to Peru for the couple of weeks or whatever with the lads and uh, go to the jungle so anybody who hasn't heard his podcast should at this point probably go back and listen to those <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it really uh, I suppose inspired me him going really inspired me and made me kind of realise like that is really something that I do want to do and I couldn't wait to talk to him about it when he came back and um, obviously he's very open about the whole thing he wrote a blog about it the whole lot and I was really intrigued by his experience. So I kind and again, like I sort of knew other people that were kind of involved in this kind of thing as well. So I was kind of doing a lot of research and a lot of chatting to people or whatever. And uh, then over time, I mentioned Graham Hancock there. I got very into kind of um, his work and his books and into John Anthony West, who's like 
Uh, actually, he just passed away recently as well. The Egyptologist. Yeah, yeah. So he's he was a writer originally, like, and uh, he used to work in marketing, and you know, he was one of the sort of Mad Men on Madison Avenue. Like that was kind of where he started. But anyway, he uh, was just like a fountain of knowledge about ancient Egypt and uh, all these, uh, I suppose, alternative uh, views of ancient history. I got really into all of that. And I remember uh, chatting to Ivor one of the days about um, possibly going over. John Anthony West did these guided tours of Egypt. You could go over and go on your holidays to Egypt with him and he would bring you around to all these different places that he's written about, made documentaries about, all that kind of stuff. And I kind of had it in my head that I wanted to go and do that. So that was more of a priority for me than going to Peru. So uh, I actually emailed him, as in John Anthony West, and he emailed me back and everything. He's no like, way. yeah, yeah, I still have an email from him. Class. I mean, it wasn't like, yeah, you know, still, still. It was like, hello, yes, blah, blah, blah. Like, it wasn't really, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't anything uh, major, but I thought it was really cool that he emailed me back himself. But uh, the trip, I think it was maybe in October, it was around Halloween that I kind of decided I'd like to go on the trip the following year. And uh, so emailed John, John emailed me back and uh, he he had a trip in February, which I didn't think I was going to be able to make. I wasn't going to have enough money together or whatever. So we had one kind of later on the following year. So I sort of decided, right, I'm going to go and do that one. And uh, I remember Ivor saying to me, it was, we were down actually at their house in Cavan. It was around Halloween and there was going to be fireworks and he was doing this outdoor barbecue and all, like it was kind of a family thing. And I was chatting to him outside when he was doing the, the barbecue and he just said um, about going to Egypt. He was like, it's one of those things that you just like, don't be waiting until everything is aligned and everything's in place yeah. and you have enough money. Like just book it and then yeah. figure out how to do it. Great advice. Brilliant advice. And uh, funnily enough, I ended up applying that to something completely different it wasn't even to Egypt that I did apply but uh we had that conversation and that's I decided that that's what I was going to do and then a couple of months later less than two months later um out of kind of nowhere really without warning and with no real kind of um signs of it happening my dad died really suddenly he had uh, an aneurysm and it was a couple of weeks before Christmas and it was just really kind of obviously very traumatic very devastating just of course Jesus horrible horrendous experience or whatever um but obviously for the first few weeks after it happened it was kind of the the you know the trauma and the shock and the pain and the sadness and all of that that was all happening but something else was kind of happening alongside of that which was that I kind of got this sort of overwhelming feeling that that there is a big I suppose learning opportunity here for me and for all for everybody that was kind of that's affected by any kind of like life changing event, like when something like that happens, whether it's a, a bereavement or maybe it's an illness or it could be a job loss or it could be loads of different things. But anything kind of life changing is kind of it's like, I suppose, if you compare it to like a volcano erupting, there's the lava and there's the destruction and there's the mayhem. But after that, when the lava cools, it's really fertile soil. You can grow loads of things out of it. And I kind of felt like that's sort of where I was going with the whole thing so I thought right Egypt will wait I'm not going to bother with Egypt I really got this overwhelming sense that um I should go to Peru that this was the right time to go to Peru um and that at this point I'd never had more to to gain or to give to the experience than I did at that time so I thought with Ivor's advice about like just booking it and then figuring out how to do it I applied that to Peru so I just kind of started doing loads of research and um, 
initially that the idea was that um I was going to go and do the pretty much the same trip that he'd done. So he went over um under the guidance of this American guy called Rack Razam, I think. Or yeah, Razam. No, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, so he, he had kind of said, you know, I'd highly recommend going with him. He'll be doing a trip later in the year. You should look into doing that. So I looked it up and turned out that, yes, he was doing a trip to the same place, to Percy's place. But uh, I had I was bridesmaid at a wedding that week. So obviously I could not do that. So one of my best mates was getting married. Um, so I couldn't make that one. So I went, OK, well what other trips are available out there so I started kind of doing uh, some intense googling <laughs> and looking all around to see like what other options were there so I came across uh, my, my intention going over there I suppose I should just say it was to was to do ayahuasca I thought right um, not that I thought okay going to do ayahuasca is going to help me to get over my dad dying obviously like that was never going to happen but I felt like it was um, this experience that I really wanted to have. And I was so open to learning everything and just open in general that I thought, OK, now's probably the right time to go and do this. And it might help with some of the healing or whatever. It might give me a, a bit of a perspective on it or whatever. So I was searching uh, ayahuasca this, ayahuasca that, looking like where, whereabouts can you do it? Is it all in the jungle? Because, you know, the idea of being in the jungle for a couple of weeks by myself with a load of strangers oh this was the thing I was going by myself as well so I thought don't know about the safety aspect of going to the jungle also I'm absolutely terrified of spiders so (laughs) I thought you know I don't know if this maybe it's a blessing in disguise that this guy's trip was clashing with something else like maybe maybe that's not the right thing for me to do so just totally by chance I came across this uh, website called Soul Remedy uh, soulremedy.org I think it is and it's this uh, couple from Seattle so they'd be kind of roughly our age kind of like early 30s or whatever and um, they were hosting a retreat um, up in the Andes Mountains so just outside Cusco for a couple of weeks uh, in, in July I think it was the first two weeks of July and they had um, done loads of different they'd worked a lot with different plant medicines and uh, different kind of modalities of healing and all that kind of stuff they seemed like really really interesting cool people and they were you know doing this retreat but it wasn't just going to be an ayahuasca retreat there was the other elements involved as well there was a mention of um, of San Pedro or Huachuma and I had heard this mentioned before but I didn't really know what it was uh, so I said, OK, I'm going to there was a link from their website to this other website where they were actually there. They were based in Seattle, but the retreat was going to be in Cusco and the people running the retreat in Cusco were actually originally from South African, but they've been living there for two decades or whatever. It's this uh, amazing woman called Leslie Myberg, a South African woman and her two sons who are twins and their names are Mark and Simon. So together they run a hostel in Cusco and they also uh, run this mountain house retreat, which is Leslie's actual house. Uh, and they do um, the, they do ayahuasca retreats d- down the road in this other guy's house, a, an actual Peruvian shaman's house. Uh, but in Leslie's house, they do these San Pedro Huachuma kind of retreats or whatever. So I said I'd kind of look into that a little bit more and do a bit more reading. And it turned out that... Um, so... Wachuma is a cactus, a South American cactus. And uh, up until the conquistadors came, whatever, 600 years ago, it was used um, on a regular basis in kind of religious ceremonies and as part of their um, religious practice, their spiritual practice or whatever uh, in Peru. 
But when the Spanish came, it was outlawed. But as were many, like obviously they were trying to um, bring Christianity or whatever and they didn't want any other sort of stuff going on. So they outlawed Wachuma, which is basically yeah, the cactus which contains mescaline, which you make into a, a tea, let's say, and do a, sort of a ceremony around it. So they weren't allowed to do that anymore. Uh, and if they were found to be doing it, they'd be killed, simple as. So like loads of people were being murdered because they were still working with Wachuma. So during this kind of time and um, they were trying to kind of force Catholicism on people, they were teaching people about saints and uh, St. Peter came up and they were kind of teaching them, well, St. Peter is the keeper of the gate to heaven and the local Peruvian people were kind of going, the Incas were kind of going, well, that's what Wachuma is. It's like the, you know, the key to heaven. So we'll change the name from Wachuma to St. To Peter or San Pedro. No way. So that's why it's called San Pedro now. And what really made me go, okay, that's the one, this is where I'm going, is that my dad's name was Peter. And I just right. thought it was all a little bit too uh, too lovely of a coincidence yeah, to yeah. just kind it of pass resonated. it up. Yeah, so I said, okay, fuck it, I'll go to Cusco and drink cactus tea as well as doing the ayahuasca. So okay, sorry that's to go how cr- I... Sorry to cut across here because that's a good starting point for you to continue on. But just can you give people a bit of an outline on what ayahuasca is and what um, what was the name of the other substance? Sorry, mescaline. Yeah. What that is to people who who don't know because I'm I'm very familiar with both of them. But yeah. can you give people what your understanding of those th- two things were back then, as opposed to now, if that makes sense? Yeah, sure. So um, ayahuasca is basically it's a a brew of it. There's a a vine and a leaf that are both basically um, brewed together to make this kind of, um, again, it's kind of like a tea, basically. But it would have been used kind of in antiquity for um, the, like, not just Peruvian people, but all like all over the world, basically, but ma- mainly in South America um, as a way to sort of connect with the spirit world or to, well, really to connect with oneself with the aid of the spirit world, let's say. So, um they say that ayahuasca is kind of this female spirit. They call it mother ayahuasca, like a very kind of like a a very maternal kind of um, a presence or spirit. And generally speaking, what, what it was used for would be to um, gain insights into yourself and into life and into the world around you, basically, and to connect um, with that with a view to, to self-improvement. Basically, that's kind of what what it was for originally and that's what it's still pretty much used for nowadays as well so um then in tandem with that then that'd be kind of more um in the amazon jungle and then up in uh the mountains then the cactus would be more kind of common or, or at least more local so you have san pedro or wachima cactuses growing all over the place and a lot of people then kind of cultivate them themselves um for pretty much the same purpose that the difference between the two of them is that san pedro um is said to have a more male presence or the like the nickname for san pedro's grandfather uh so the the other thing is that they call uh, san pedro heart medicine so the effects of both are very, very different as well. And the settings that you would do the two of them are very, very different. So, for example, ayahuasca is usually done in the dark at night time, uh, lying on a mat um, with just maybe a, a candle lighting. And that's kind of it. Whereas San Pedro, at least the way that Leslie Myberg does it in her place, is uh, you do it in her beautiful garden in the daytime. So 10 o'clock in the morning, you, you have your 
your cactus tea uh, and you hang around the garden for the day in the sunshine. And uh, so it's two very, very different experiences and two very different uh, spirits, I suppose you would say. But definitely there is a very strong sense of ayahuasca being female and San Pedro being male i can maybe kind of go into that a little bit more i don't know but by uh, all means if yeah absolutely yeah. but again just so we don't lose anybody yeah. the, the two the two kind of teas or potions or whatever you, you want to call it the ayahuasca and the the masculine both of those are sorry the ayahuasca and the san, Pe- san pedro are both contain very very powerful psychedelics yeah so the the active compound in ayahuasca is dimethyltryptamine which i believe is the, the strongest psychedelic known to man and then uh, in san pedro it's mescaline which mm-hmm. mightn't be as powerful but it's certainly up there <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, well dimethyltryptamine as well it's not only the one of the most powerful psychedelics it's a it's a substance that occurs in all organic life so we have dmt inside of us and most other like plants, animals, all other organic things would have a, a certain amount of DMT within them as well. Um, so it's not like completely a, an outside thing. It's basically if you're, say, drinking ayahuasca, you're you're taking in a substance that's already actually inside yourself. Anyway. Yes. Um, but it's not uh, your body doesn't process it on its own. You have to add. So that's why they add the um the chacruna leaf to the the Banisteriopsis vine is to activate the DMT to make it orally active yes. because you have enzymes in your stomach that make it that deactivate it let's say so in order for it to to work essentially in that in the psychedelic sense you have to add um an inhibitor so that those enzymes don't um don't prevent it from working okay so there's the science bit you, you <laughs> bastardized <were> s- massively <laughs> <laughs> but again you're, you're 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 speaking in terms that i think people can relate to and hear and understand i could i could get someone with a, a phd in chemistry in to tell us all about the ins and outs of it and nobody would get anything from it so it's yeah a, you, you explained it perfectly but if, if you, you kind of shied away about explaining the masculine and the female of, of two there or yeah. Or about it, at least. Well, I suppose, again, that this is where you kind of might lose people um, in terms of it kind of gets a little bit sort of uh, airy fairy. But maybe that's, I don't know. I can only speak about my own experience of, course, of it. Of course. Which, you know, funnily enough, kind of um, is very similar to what other people experience as well. Very different to what others experience. Like, for example, like Ivor went and had his experience in Peru. I went and had mine. They were completely different. Like there was certain similarities, but they were very, very different as well at the same time. From the the fundamentals of where we were staying to the experiences that we had when we were taking the medicine, for example. Yes. Um, everybody's experiences is, is totally different. But what a lot of people report uh say if they're um if they're taking ayahuasca is that they either see a female entity or they can just feel a, a female presence or they can almost hear a female voice and it does feel very maternal and very nurturing um but then with san pedro it's more kind of a it's still very nurturing and all of that kind of stuff but it's more kind of a bit of a like what's the best way to describe it so we were talking earlier on about like giving someone a kick up the hole it is a bit of a kick up the hole but in a very loving way right um, so it is kind of like mom and dad <laughs> you know in a very basic way yeah, um, yeah. again lots of people can experience that very differently but that's exactly how I kind of experienced it um, so yeah 
I don't know where where to go next after that. Well, you got yourself to uh, did you say is Cusco? Where is Cusco? So Cusco is um Cusco is a Quechuan word which is like the ancient Incan language which means navel. And funnily enough we were talking about chakras earlier on. Your um your you have a chakra here at your belly button which the um the Incas or the the um yeah, the ancient sort of South American people would have called your Cusco. That okay. was the name of the chakra, as, as the navel. So Cusco is known as the navel of the universe. So they believe that they're actually the belly button of the whole universe, which is kind of cool. So a lot of their like ancient architecture and everything is sort of based around um, different types of astronomy and alignments with different planets and stars and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, they had like some incredible sort of ancient knowledge. So Cusco... Um, spelt the traditional way is like Q O S Q O, but in our like in modern times it's C U S C O, which would be kind of say if, if um the if Iquitos where most people would go say to the jungle for ayahuasca trips or whatever that's over kind of the the east of the country then Cusco would be over the other side over the west, um and it'd be more mountainous. It's near where actually Machu Picchu is nearer to there than it would be to uh, Iquitos. Okay. So same same part of the world, relatively speaking, say. Yeah, yeah, well, same country, like yeah. both in all in Peru, obviously. But um, yeah. Okay, so you got yourself onto a plane and over you went. Yeah. So, did they meet you at the airport or like how big is like is is there a, a two hundred bed hotel where you went like or you know no, can no. you lay it out for people like what what exactly it was? Yeah. So I contacted the that the couple the American couple um who were doing the retreat or whatever I liked them on Facebook I was kind of in touch with them had a few questions they were amazing it was Travis really the um the husband let's say who was kind of answering all the the questions and he was um you know emailing back and forth giving me all the information answering all the questions like I I didn't just hop on a plane and go over there like I did a lot of research a lot of reading and I'd recommend if anybody is thinking about doing something like that to, to do that first I do the homework first and um, so I sussed these people out big time really got to kind of uh, connect with them and realise that, yeah, these are definitely the people that I want to go and do this with. So after doing all of that, then um, like they kind of took care of a lot of the stuff, like the logistics and booking accommodation, all that kind of stuff. So I just had to book my flights basically and arrive. So I got on the plane, landed in Lima, had to get another plane from Lima to Cusco and then uh, a taxi man picked me up at the airport. He had my little name on a sign. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> it was deadly. <laughs> felt very important. Uh, and then he brought me up to the, the hostel. So we were staying in um, the Mybergs hostel, which is called Casa de la Gringa in Cusco, which I'd highly recommend. It's a really, really cool hostel. Uh, the thing about Cusco is that it's really, really high up above sea level. So there's kind of like a lot of people sort of suffer from altitude sickness and things like that. But yeah. you can get um, coca leaves to just chew or drink coca tea um, or there's loads of different things that you can do to kind of help that. Or if you get it really bad, you can just get medication for it or whatever. So that's one thing to note if you're going to Cusco that it's, it's really fucking high up. Uh, <laughs> so... The guy, anyway, brought me to the hostel and then you kind of, like, everything is sort of up hills. Like, it's not like, um, it's not like Dublin City where everything, there's just big high buildings or like New York with all these skyscrapers. It's not like that at all. It's still kind of, um, there's still kind of an ancient element to it. Like, it's kind of, it's not a very, 
it's a very well developed city in some senses, but it's not like there's very luxury available in it, put it that way. So if you're looking for that kind of thing, then probably not the best place to go. Now, the hostel was perfectly clean. It was really comfortable. It was really quirky, like loads of lovely art around the place, loads of cool people hanging around or whatever. And uh, yeah, it was really, really nice. And what happened was we all like checked in or whatever. There was other people obviously doing this uh, particular retreat as well, most of whom were American, a couple of Canadians, uh, just a lovely, lovely bunch of people. Uh, Again, like I was saying earlier on about like people who go and do this sort of stuff, they're all people who are looking to improve something or get better or be better or whatever. So you're like, you know, probably 99% of the time you're going to meet lovely people who are just trying to be better human beings, which is pretty much exactly what happened to me. So we all kind of settled in or whatever. That was all grand. Then there was a bit of like an induction talking about like what was going to happen over the next few days, trying to like prepare us or whatever. And uh, the way that it was going to work out was that the Monday we would go up to Leslie's house up kind of further up into the mountains and um, do a San Pedro session. Then on the Tuesday, we'd have a day off. We'd go off kind of sightseeing, which was amazing as well. Then Wednesday night and Thursday night would be ayahuasca sessions. And then Friday would be kind of a day off. And then Saturday would be another San Pedro ceremony to kind of close off the, the medicine aspect of the trip, let's say. Then the following week, we were supposed to be going to Machu Picchu. <laughs> Which didn't really work out, but I can get to that. Oh later no, on. yeah, no, we will, we will. <laughs> um, so yeah, back to the the Monday. Then we went up to to Leslie's place. Um, the, she has like th- just this amazing garden with all kinds of plants and stuff like that, and two dogs, not unlike your two dogs out there, actually. Um, kind of just wandering around, um, just looking after people, keeping an eye on things or whatever, and. Um, basically just all you know come together in the Maloka and you talk about like why you're there if you want to um, talk about what your intentions are so when you're doing a lot of this stuff intention is really really important it's not just about showing up and like drinking the medicine and sure we'll see what happens like there's you kind of have to do a lot of preparation before you go so in terms of um, like what, why, what it is you're doing why you're doing it what you hope to achieve from it um, just kind of trying to get your get your head together basically before you kind of you know go into it um, so that you're going in with your eyes open basically get your setting right as McKenna set and setting set yeah and setting. absolutely it's a really 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 important so some people would have been there and they would have um, talked very openly and very kind of in a very detailed way about why they were there what they were trying to achieve all that kind of stuff other people would just kind of you know maybe say a little sentence everybody would always give gratitude for being there like it was kind of a common theme everyone was just like I'm just delighted to be here and really grateful to meet you people it was all very lovely like big fucking loving um (laughs) but then anyway what happens is everybody you know drinks their their medicine but then from that point it becomes a very individual experience so everybody with with ayahuasca you kind of stay in the maloca everybody has their mat and you're there for the night and nobody really moves apart from maybe to go to the bathroom and then they come back whereas with the san pedro ceremonies everybody takes a blanket and maybe a cushion or whatever finds a part of the garden and just kind of parks themselves there but the effects of San Pedro are such that you could easily just go for a walk somewhere or like you're not like you can still talk, you can still walk, you can still, you know, function on all of those levels. But yeah, there's you're just not under. Say. Yeah, but there's there's it's like 
there's another there's like again a kind of a frequency sort of thing there's another level going on or another level that you're tapped into but you're still here as well um so what happened for me I suppose on the first day of San Pedro was that um it was all very much kind of stuff uh to do with my dad or I felt like my dad's presence was very strong there which may be why I would definitely say that San Pedro was like a male presence I felt like it was my dad's presence maybe it wasn't maybe I'm fucking bonkers does it matter I don't think so. It's what you felt. It's what you felt. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there was different kind of like without going into to all the ins and outs of that, like there was some kind of really uh, humbling moments, really just lovely moments, uh, just like a lot of insights into like my relationship with my dad and all that kind of stuff, which it was always a really positive relationship. And I kind of worked through a lot of stuff. And then it kind of like after that, it sort of went on to other things um to do with just other people in my life and relationships with them and just basically kind of um reviewing a lot of the stuff that was happening in my life and giving me like a real sense of just love and compassion and forgiveness and just a really 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 positive experience and then uh that kind of goes on for a few hours and eventually they come like the, one of the staff will come with a, like a bowl of fresh fruit or whatever and everybody eats their lovely fresh fruit and has a cup of tea and kind of you start sort of coming out of the the I suppose the trip if, you, if that's what you want to call it and then they brought us to so the house was right beside the temple of the moon and all these other temples um which is really an amazing experience to be right beside all of these. Like these are really, ancient temples. Yeah, yeah ancient Incan temples, okay. like thousands of years old. So, uh, once we had our little bit of fruit and our tea and the whole lot, then we went out for a walk around those, and we got to kind of learn a little bit of the history about them and a little bit about Andean mysticism. And for example, like um, Leslie's son Mark brought us to this little river, and it was beside the Temple of the Frog. And we were all kind of down there or whatever. And he got us all to go over and just like put our, our hand in the, the river. And he said that the, the Incas used to have this um this sort of tradition that if you were after going through something negative um, or, you know, if there was anything bad going on in your life, that you would go down to the river, put your hand in it and say a little prayer into the river and let the let the river take the nightmares and then just like splash a little bit of the water on yourself. And then basically you're. You, you've let the river just take all the badness and then you carry on with your life which I just thought was really yeah, lovely there's elements of a baptism of sorts in there is there kind, kind of, of but washing not, away but not stuff? any not in any sort of dogmatic sense yes, like yes. you know like so the the Quechua uh, the Quechua people particularly they didn't um, or the Cairo people they didn't have any real uh, syst- like a system of beliefs or a religious kind of a system or there's no dogma really like everything that they sort of believe and teach and practice is all to do with um, each other and the and the earth and the universe. And they talk a, a lot about um, reciprocation, this thing called Aini. So anything that you give, if you give something, you should get something. And if you get something, you should give something. And it's all this kind of um, a constant sort of uh, system of reciprocity, basically. Uh, and they talk about energy in a really interesting way like so there's no such thing as a bad energy good energy or anything like that it's light energy and it's uh, heavy energy or sami and hucha is what they call it so when they're doing any sort of um again spiritual i hate the fucking word but if they're doing spiritual practice it's all about energy exchange and energy balance right so uh again like they work with different kind of um different sort of 
uh, techniques like meditation techniques and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so we got to learn loads about um, their kind of traditions and they were actually the Cairo are amazing as well. These uh, Quechua people, when the the conquistadors came to uh, South America again, like 600 years ago, there was a, a bunch of Incas who were like, fuck this, like we're not we're not accepting this. We're going to try and get away. So they tried to run up the mountains, really, really high mountains. And they got to a certain part and they, they were kind of caught or whatever. And then there was, I think, an avalanche or something like that came and wiped out all the, the people that were chasing them. So they were like, OK, great. Kept going up the mountain. Uh, and then it got to a certain point where the Spanish were just like, anybody that's gone that far up the mountain, there's no way they're going to survive. They're all going to die up there. We're just going to just leave them, just let them at it. But they did survive up there. They learned, they basically adapted into living like above the clouds at this like incredible altitude. And they did that for hundreds of years until like the the 1950s or 60s was when they kind of started coming down out of the the mountains Ooh. and uh, yeah they still had all the ancient traditions preserved still spoken the Quechua language so those people don't even speak Spanish never mind English like they th- some of the people that were working in the ceremonies with us uh, there was two brothers two Cairo brothers um, who lived up in the mountains still and they weren't able to like even if I was fluent in Spanish they wouldn't have understood anything that I was saying really they had a, like yeah. a tiny little bit to be able to communicate with with Leslie maybe but that was it they still speak the ancient Incan language of Quechua which That's is pretty cool, cool. that yeah. is cool yeah yeah really really cool people Um, so they were kind of heavily involved in like our ceremonies and the, they did uh, these uh, limpia cleansing so like an energy cleansing so when we were doing the San Pedro uh, ceremonies <coughs> excuse me they'd come over and do a personal cleansing on, on each person that was there and it was really really incredible and uh, on another one of the days they did a, what they call a despacho ceremony so it's like a giving thanks to Mother Earth ceremony so they like it's all very kind of symbolic you might put some like they make this little parcel out of newspaper and they put flowers and bits of food and different things coca leaves and everybody gives intentions to it all this kind of stuff it's this beautiful ceremony and in the end they parcel it all up and they, they burn it and offer it to to Mother Earth or whatever. So there's a lot of this stuff that wasn't anything to do with them taking plant medicines, but it was all the kind of the ceremony of it. It was just like a really, really lovely experience, like the whole the whole thing. So, well, I think we've we've lost the idea of ceremonies these yeah, days. Definitely. I think, and I think masses are ceremonies, like the way we would have all went to mass on a Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever it was that we used to go to them. We've we've lost that. Mm. And that's a that that's a bad thing. That's something I think we need to kind of take back. Yeah. Is this idea of ceremony? We get a touch of it when we go to concerts and when we go to football matches and things like that. But there's no real. You kind of enjoy that ceremony without being taught anything. You don't like you don't go to a football match to learn something about yourself. Yeah. Or a concert, as much as you might enjoy them. But I don't know. We we seem the to be missing out on different. that. Yeah. You mentioned something about. I think you said. Um, there was like some form of cleansing. Hmm. What what was that or how did that take form? So again, the, the way that they sort of see um, energy is light energy and heavy energy. And they, they, they kind of like look at you to see how your energy is balancing. Do you know, so they, um, if they saw some heavy energy, they'd balance it out. Like they use condor feathers and rattles and a couple of different little things um, where you just stand up and they're just working, doing whatever. 
and they're literally like blowing away uh, anything heavy. So like literally like you'll hear them like blowing past your ear or whatever, getting rid of anything that's um, causing an imbalance to you as they see it, an energetic imbalance. Okay, akin so. to the, the flower bats that Ivor would have taken. Something yeah. there, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar to that, I'd say, yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. you, this was, was it the first, sorry, the, get, let's just get the timeline right. So you, you arrived with these guys, was it the, 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 the was it the, the next day you stayed there and then the next day you had a, a mescaline? Yeah, so the mescaline first, tea or? yeah, so we stayed in the hostel in town the first night and then went up to Leslie's house in the mountains the second day the second morning yeah I uh, went up fasting because that's what I meant to ask yeah. you was there a fasting element to it or yeah but only on the days of your ceremony so some okay. people if they're going off to say do um a, a diet a plant medicine diet in the jungle or anywhere for a, cu- a few weeks or for a month there's this diet that they would follow in advance so Ivor would be a lot more familiar with that than I would um I tried it for a couple of weeks before I went away and then just, no, I had a wedding and I had a few different things on. It was my birthday and I wasn't just going to eat fucking quinoa and sweet potato <laughs> and broccoli <laughs> and nothing else. So, uh, although I love all those things, but just it wasn't uh, wasn't working for me. And plus, I'd gotten advice anyway from the people hosting that, look, you don't have to be really, really strict. Like, we'll they provided all the meals anyway while we were there. So they were like... While we're doing our ceremony, like you'll, you know, you'll be eating properly on those days. So maybe don't like booze the head off yourself over the next week or whatever. But, you know, you don't have to be really, really like you can have a glass of wine at the wedding, like that kind of way. So um, so that was all grand. So the first morning we got up and they kind of said, right, don't eat anything. We'll give you kind of that fruit salad bowl later on or whatever. So you're, you're fasting and then you take the medicine. Then later on eat the fruit, have your tea and then later on that evening a kind of a light meal that they prepared as well. So it's kind of like a, a stew kind of a type thing with rice or whatever. So on the days that we were doing medicine ceremonies that was kind of the crack. So you'd fast before the medicine and then they'd sort of give you lovely healthy grub then afterwards to build you back up again. So, Okay and can you tell me when you drank, drank the tea was it, you know, did your pupils dilate well, and the whole world thing, explode actually, or yeah, what? Yeah, like. yeah. So people always really want to know this, but I think sometimes they're afraid to ask. They're like, you know, oh, you, t- you took ayahuasca. Like, did you shit yourself in front of everybody? Like, that's what they, like, people expect that it's like this big, like, oh, everybody puking everywhere and everybody like, you know, that it's this big. I, and I think um, that was one of the things that was really different between Ivor's experience and my experience is that I think he purged a lot. They call this purging, by the way. So it's very common, like for people when they um, drink ayahuasca or drink any kind of plant medicine, that your your stomach will react in a way that's not all that pleasant. Put it that way. So yeah. um, it could come out either end, both ends, whatever. That often happens to people. So in ayahuasca ceremonies, usually you'd have like a bucket beside your your mat, and if you have to puke, you just puke into your bucket, and that's it. If you have to, you know, go the other end, then you just go out to the bathroom, and that's it, or whatever. So some people that I was in the room with, yeah, they might, you know, they vomited or they had a bit of a purge or whatever. I didn't purge at all. Right. Like, at all. So I didn't feel sick. I didn't. And sorry, was this after the mescaline or the or so the, the DMT? With or? both, like it would be common enough for people to purge after both. Okay. You know, so especially vomiting, like that would be kind of the most common way to purge. Like for most people, um, I think from what I can gather, like they'd feel a little bit sick and they may or may not get sick, but they would definitely feel sick. Mm. Um, I didn't feel sick at all when I was um, taking San Pedro or ayahuasca, neither, which is kind of 
that's pretty uncommon. I put it down to the fact that I was kind of like I had tried to like prepare myself like kind of food wise and stuff but bar that kind of week where I was really bold with the birthday and the wedding and all yeah, that which yeah. was the week before I went but anyway <laughs> um there was all of that but also I got this sense that <laughs> it's gonna sound mad but that the the plant spirits were kind of being gentle on me because I was going there in a very vulnerable state like I just lost my dad I was grieving pretty heavily I had a lot of other stuff going on and I just felt like th- that the medicine was looking after me. It was right. a very gentle, loving, nurturing experience. There was no kind of, there's a couple of things here and there, especially uh, when I was doing ayahuasca, where it was kind of like making me look at things about myself or about things that, that have happened in the past that I didn't really want to look at. And I kind of go, oh, no, no, I'm not ready for that. And they'd go, like, I just got this overwhelming presence going no you are looking at this yeah like it or not yeah this is what we're here for like this is yeah um but it was again like in a very loving way a very supportive way it wasn't I didn't feel like I was being um forced into it or anything like that it was kind of more just like you know just kind of cop on and man up a little bit like you know what I mean and just face this thing but other than that like everything else was a very kind of gentle experience for me but might not be for everybody else. And did know. you get the visuals, the strong oh, yeah. visuals? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you can you try to can you outlay that for people? Yeah. Or? So there's some that I I won't go into because they're quite personal or whatever. Now I didn't have any. Um, I know Ivor was talking about like having kind of demonic visions and stuff like that, which w- does happen to some people. No, I had none of that. Um, but one of the things I suppose that I will talk about that I thought was really it, it was a real take home for me as well. But it was the second night of ayahuasca. And I was kind of laying on my mat or whatever. The first night of ayahuasca, it wasn't that intense for me. It was an intense experience, but not visually. Okay. Um, but the second night, Jesus Christ. So I was on my, my mat and started kicking in or whatever. So I was lying down and I got this very strong sense. I could hear this female voice going, we're not working up here this evening, as in like in this realm. We're going down here, which is interesting as well, because another thing about uh, Andean mysticism they have this thing called the Chakana or the Andean cross and it represents the three realms and the four directions. So the three realms are kind of the, let's say the lower realm, which is represented by the serpent. So it's kind of um, like belly to the ground, all very earthy, all very uh, basic kind of level knowledge, like innate knowledge, that kind of stuff. Yeah, instinct. Exactly, yeah. And then in the, the middle realm would be kind of represented by the jaguar or the, the puma or the puma. Um, and that's all kind of more uh, sort of le- learning and knowledge and kind of development, personal development. And then the upper realm or the higher realm, which would be the, the condor or the hummingbird, they'd be the, the kind of representative creatures, let's say. That's more kind of... Um, your higher self or you know enlightenment I suppose or all those kind of things would sort of that's where those things would live up in that realm and uh, I suppose just on that note there's a an interesting kind of relationship between the condor and the the jaguar in like in our realm like in the jungle if the condor if the if, if a jaguar or a puma kills another animal uh they share it with the condor but the reason that they do that is because when the condor sees a lame animal or an animal that's weak, it'll circle above it, like flying up in the sky, circle above it to go Telling the here, jaguar. look over here. So the jaguar will go over, make the kill, have their bit of food and then leave the rest for the condor. And they're like, right, sound, see you next time kind nice. of thing, which is a very, 
uh, Iny kind of a thing like I was talking earlier on about the reciprocity of everything like that's the way that they kind of yeah that's symbiotic relationships there yeah totally the, the give and take do you know what I mean so um so the th- this spirit plant mother whatever <laughs> thing presence <laughs> told me we're not working up here in this realm today we're, we're working down here so we were going back down to the lower realm or whatever and it was really weird. So I was kind of, wa- we were walking through this, um, like a kind of like a field or a meadow or something like that. And there was like a little stream or whatever. And we were kind of chatting and I couldn't really tell you all the ins and outs what we were chatting about. Like I couldn't see this person as a person. It was just, it was more like a feeling. I, 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 so I, I'm, co- I'm conscious of cutting across you, but you, you just kind of mentioned it there. That, uh, did you feel like you were talking to someone else or yourself? Because when I, I hear voices, we all hear voices in our yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. But that's always me. Yeah. It might be, you know, angry Frano or, you know, anxiety for the Frano or loving Frano, but it's always, it's me or a different version of me. Did, is that what that felt like? No. This is a distinct... outside of myself. Yes. Very connected to me. Yes. But... They knew separate you, say. to me. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I knew I was coming. You know, that kind of way. It was very strange. Like, it's a very strange thing to try and explain unless you've kind of experienced it. Because, I mean, even I read Ivor's blog before I went over. I spoke to loads of people who've experienced ayahuasca and they'd never, they could never have explained to me what it was going to actually be like when I when I went to do it. So, like, kind of words fail you in, in a, a massive way. So it was kind of, it wasn't that I was kind of, like, talking to another person, but it was like, that there was a definitely a dialogue happening there between me and another entity, let's say. Yeah. Which is a bit mad. And... When I was story, it, I think it was a little bit easier for me to make sense of it because it was at night and it was dark. Yeah. So. So for me, how did that in, work? in this particular setting, for the um, from we were doing ayahuasca, it was dark. It was the maloca. It was all that as well. It was the very same thing. It was for San Pedro. It was during the day. It was in the garden. The sun was shining. Everybody's kind of wide awake, kind of thing. Whereas with the ayahuasca, you're in a maloca. It's dark. There's a shaman. There's a shipibo lady in the corner singing Icaros, the medicine songs. There's an apprentice to the shaman. He's kind of playing different instruments as well. But other than that, everybody is like in a circle on their mats, lying down, not interacting with each other, not being able to see each other. It's totally you're on your own. Basically, it's you and the, and the medicine, and that's it. And the well, what I did see now, I didn't require it let's say but other people who were maybe struggling with something whether it was an emotion or a vision or whatever the shaman was straight over to them and working with them and helping them through it and um all that kind of stuff and guiding them but for me I didn't really have any interaction at all it was all just within myself all internal yeah yeah so uh where is it oh yeah so I was kind of in this meadowy place and I could see, I was kind of sitting down and I could see all these like little, this is going to sound absolutely bonkers, but I could see all these like little women, like little tiny women, like on me and kind of like just doing, like smiling, but doing stuff. And I didn't Walking know what up and down your arms yeah, and on your body. Like, yeah. And I was kind of going, what the fuck is going on here? And this like presence is going, don't mind them. Don't mind them. They're just doing their job. <laughs> and I was going, what do you mean don't mind them? Like, of course I'm going to mind. And like, I just got this sense of it's okay. This is, this is normal. This is what we're here for. It's grand. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm just going to, you know, give into this. That's fine. So that, and that's a very common type of vision to have when you're having uh, ayahuasca visions. Like this, this sense or a vision of people working on you and doing like, 
they're like literally like little kind of I don't know whether they were like it wasn't like hammer and nails type thing but it wasn't far off like they were kind of doing work on me because I did I ever say that he saw people stitching his hand back together or felt someone stitching his hand or fixing his hand something along those lines all right yeah Yeah. something similar yeah so kind of something similar to that but very good like I could see them it was very strange but eventually anyway I just started laughing I was like this is hilarious like you know so I just kind of let that go and then we kind of go on another bit or whatever and then other stuff happened but then the thing that I really thought was really cool and it's it's still is sticking with me now even in terms of um if I go a few days without playing any music or if I've been kind of neglecting uh, that sort of side of myself I always think about this sort of vision and it was that the I went down into this um kind of like a basement so kind of opened up a door and went down the stairs and it was this like mad kind of looking room it was almost like a clockwork orange meets like Alice in Wonderland kind of like very sort of bizarre kind of visual stuff and it was all these like kind of entities that were kind of like cartoons but not really it was just really bizarre I was looking around going what the hell is this and they were all crowded in together like falling over each other and they were all kind of a bit sad and I was like what the hell is this you know and so this then I heard this voice going this is this is your creativity. This is look at like, look what's happening because you're neglecting it. Like it's all it's getting too full in here. Everybody's really depressed. You need to start letting them out. You need to like nurture them more. So it was kind of like showing me that my creativity was an, an entity in and of itself that I had to nurture and look after and take out for walks, basically. Yeah. That was kind of what I got from it. It was a mad way to kind of see that. But uh, that was just one thing anyway. Um, there was loads of other things, again, like, you know, very sort of personal insights. And uh, it was just a very kind of enriching experience for me. And can, aside from, like, I, don't, I obviously don't want you to share anything that's kind of too personal or that. But is there is there any other kind of examples that you can give of, of what you saw or how it made you feel or what you what use you've gotten from it since because actually forget about that for a sec what you said there about this idea of you having this creative person almost inside you that needed to be walked and exercised and all that, <laughs> yeah. I love that I really really <laughs> do think that's cool because I think this we have like even even our emotions I think our emotions are people in a sense do you know the kind of way I do think that there is an angry Frano in me that needs to be kept yeah. on a short fucking leash because he's a dangerous bastard. He's mm. he's the guy that'll split your headbutt for no reason when he's too drunk and you know not that I ever have or would hopefully but I that idea of the of the shadow self mm. I've a, a very well developed shadow side of me and I I know that I have to keep thing or person or being or whatever it is on a very short leaf leash and not introduce it to my you know family do you know yeah, kind of way? Sure. and then there's other things like the creative version of me which only got out for its first walk there last week do you know kind of way? Yeah, yeah. we've all these different elements of us and the you know Fran McKeown who who I am is all of those things kind of combined and there's a balance that need to be struck between them all because sure. you need the shadow side you need the dark side you need to be able to draw that darkness forth when you know your family becomes under attack in whatever form that kind yeah. of manifests itself but sorry I'm rambling myself no, again as, as as always but what are the the, the take homes or presumably you'd recommend this experience to other people or would you or I would but I wouldn't recommend it lightly I wouldn't say yes. like oh everybody should go and do this everybody shouldn't go and do it but if if people are interested in doing it like I mean I'd be happy to talk on a more personal sort of one-to-one level with 
you know, say maybe in more detail about, um, you know, the things that I experienced and what I got from it, all that kind of, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, what I will say is that if people are thinking of going and doing it, I like, don't just go and like blindly wander into the jungle or up into the Andes Mountains and, uh, you know, just book in for an old ayahuasca ceremony. Like really do take your time and do your research talk to people as much as possible who you know have been there and get recommendations you know get feedback get as much information at your fingertips as you can before making a very informed decision about doing it and then like don't take it lightly as well because what you're doing is you're going and you're you're opening yourself up to a deeply uh, transformational experience in some cases and that's not something that you leave in the jungle or up the mountain that's something that you take home with you and, like I'm still having kind of um, revelations and still processing certain things and it's ne- nearly a year on or six months on or whatever eight months on Um, I couldn't write if I wrote forever more I couldn't write down all the things that I learned even though I, I like it, it's as if my this is gonna sound so corny, but it's as if my heart learned a load of stuff and my brain is still trying to catch up. Yeah. And trying to process it all and put it into sort of um language that I can understand and be able to articulate to myself, never mind to other people. So it's a hugely um it'll affect you in a big way. So don't like don't go and do it unless you're willing to to put the work in to prepare for it and also to come back after it and try and kind of unpack it all as well because it's it is a big deal it's amazing and it's absolutely I would do it again in a heartbeat and I will probably in the future go back many times but I I wouldn't um I just yeah I wouldn't take it lightly yeah no no it's a sound advice I think um you mentioned something there you reminded me of what you were saying kind of from the outset in relation to your music there's one thing you can put a plan in place and you can create an album but once the album is made mm. there's all this other stuff that has to happen and yeah. there's an analogy there I think in relation to going over there and doing it so you you plan it out you do your research you make sure that you're ready you book your flights you go over you do it you have the experience but having the experience is almost like recording the album exactly there's yeah, there's yeah. so much more past that so that's one thing that I think myself and I haven't really touched on as much so maybe you might be able to kind of open a door into into that world like what have you done since or what with the benefit of hindsight would you have done sooner or more of since the experience say hmm. I just go to the bathroom yeah no 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 you walk away you walk away um, <laughs> not just to think about that but uh, no no you're going to do it and by all means take your time you know where you're going the, the door just uh, the only door at the back of the house that faces you Straight through that door. Give that a push. There we go. I'm going to... Yeah, straight in front of you there and the door just straight inside. No worries. Now, uh, as anyone who was listening to my conversation with... Who the fuck was it? Darren McCann. He was the most recent guest that I've had on. Um, The same kind of thing happened. Darren needed to go to the toilet and I said I'd fill the the dead air in between the idea being that i do intend to record these podcasts live both the audio and the video and bang them up on live bang them up live so you can actually watch them as they happen now when that happens people are no doubt going to need to go to the bathroom or, or whatever else and i'm going to need to fill that space so when better to learn how to fill that space than when i'm doing these conversations now if that's not too rambly but anyway, I understand that 
Joy would have brought a relatively new audience, especially Joy's group of friends. So hello if this is your first episode. I hope I'm not lose I hope we're not losing you too much in talk of ayahuasca and psychedelics and all that. But if you want to get a better handle maybe on, on where Joy's coming from or a couple of things that we've referenced, I'd highly recommend listening to I think it was episode three, my first conversation with Ivor. And then Ivor came back on again, I can't remember the number, but it's Ivor McQuillan episode two. And myself and Ivor go deep, deep, deep down the world of spirituality and psychedelics and plant medicines. We talk a lot about guys like Graham Hancock and Terence McKenna. And if you're interested in this kind of psychedelic plant medicine, spiritual aspect of what myself and Joy have been talking about, I'd highly recommend those two podcasts. That plus, I suppose, Graham Hancock. Was it Graham Hancock? Graham Hancock, maybe not Graham Hancock, but if you Google Joe Rogan psychedelics, something like that will get you down another another uh, psychedelic spirituality shape rabbit hole. But anyway, I managed it, Joey. I got there. Hi. I got there. No, you're grand. You're grand. I was basically just explaining to anybody who's basically new to the the podcast why I'm still talking when you're not here. Oh <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but where do... I was trying for ages to, to not but then I was like no I just have to go oh no no you're right you're right I'm sorry I should have given you the heads up before the recording started of, of the kind of the protocol not at all not at all um, but yeah where did we leave off because I've been chatting away to myself since you left <laughs> I'd be looking forward to hearing that bit probably more <laughs> yeah. so than anything else um, I think you were saying uh, about what to do when you come home from something like that yes, or how yes the, the processing say. yeah like I said, I mean, I'm still kind of processing a lot of it. Um, I think what Ivor did was brilliant in that he wrote his blog and uh, I think he, he was writing a lot after that as well. For me, I find I just couldn't. I brought a notebook with me and I thought I'm going to write everything down. I, that's what I do. I write all the time anyway in my life in general. But I couldn't, whenever I went to sit down to, to write, I just couldn't put pen to paper. I couldn't, I didn't know where to start and... It just wasn't really working for me. But fortunately, I have a couple of friends who'd be very experienced in the likes of um, plant medicine and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I and I diver obviously as well, um, who's like family basically now at this stage. But I had great support and people that I could talk to because I think that that's the the key really as well is to be to be able to just with anything not just with this kind of an experience but to be able to kind of have a conversation and tell people I mean I told my mom probably every single inch of what took place over there you know and she would have been um a great support and anybody else like you know certain friends um I would have talked to as well but especially it, it really helped having people who kind of understood the experience had been through the experience um to be able to tell me like oh that's normal or you know, maybe just a heads up about this or, you know, it, it was good to have um, experienced people around to be able to kind of lean on. So, again, I would say like if somebody is um, thinking of going and doing something like that and they did want to talk about it, like I'm not, again, by no means a fucking expert. I've gone like one time to Rio, I've done like a handful of ceremonies, but I'd be more than happy to share my experience and anything that that I came across or any any kind of like little sort of um heads ups that I can give or you know and any kind of advice like that I'd be more than happy to I'm sure Ivor would as well uh, most people who've been to do it kind of understand that it it is a very even if you went with a group of people it's still a very individual thing 
But you do need to come back into a supportive environment to kind of to try and unpack everything afterwards. I feel anyway, and I think most people would sort of feel the same. So when you've been through that yourself and had that feeling, I think it makes you very willing and, you know, willing and able to, to provide that support for other people that go off and do it and come back. Yeah, no, no, ab- you know? absolutely. One thing that I mentioned, or I don't know if I mentioned it to, to Ivor, it's certainly something that I think about him. Uh I think it took tremendous balls for Ivor to basically up sticks and head off into the jungle. And that is that is a man, I think, and maybe this is the misogynist come bursting out of me, but that is a man is a, a hard enough thing to do. That was a brave enough thing for a man to do. And he brought fucking three or four of his mates. <laughs> you up sticks <laughs> fucked off for yourself. Well, to be honest, I remember actually even Kevin, um, my brother, saying to me like a few weeks before I was going he'd read something in the news about somebody being attacked or something like that and I was kind of going but shit that fucking happens in Dublin do you know what I mean like people get attacked and like at the end of the day the the frame of mind that I was in was that I had just already like I'd lost my dad and and to me at that point I was like whatever happens now I can fucking deal with it do you know what I mean because that had happened and therefore I don't know there was a kind of a an element of yeah like whatever you have like bring it on because I'm going to be able to if I can cope with that I can cope with anything there was also very much a sense of um I knew I was going to be okay like I knew number one I had done my research and I felt really uh, well connected to these people that were running the retreat so I knew that they were going to look after me but even in the like from getting from Dublin to there and back again and any time that I had on my own I, I, I wasn't really that scared I just knew deep down that I was going to be I was just going to be alright like so I wasn't I would have rather that than have someone coming with me to be honest although a couple of people had mentioned that they'd like to come and then dates didn't work out or whatever and I was kind of in a way not that I didn't want to spend time with them but I felt that this was very much an individual experience for me and having anybody else there might have kind of um altered the experience that maybe not made it any better or worse but definitely would have been a different thing like I only had myself to sort of focus on and I was happy doing that so I think the fact that I felt comfortable in what I was doing who I was going to meet all that kind of stuff and I felt very like I'd have pretty decent coping skills anyway in general you know I just kind of felt that if something pops up I'll be able to deal with it I'm going to be fine I didn't feel like I was in any danger you know yeah, no, no, of course. So. No, no, fair play. And again, it takes a, an extra an extra set of balls, I think, to go and do it by yourself. <laughs> never mind with, with other people. Like, And, and, and yeah. fair play to you again. I yeah, think you're a, a shining example to anybody out there who's thinking of either going somewhere or even just doing something. Because you, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to to kind of experience something or to do something yeah. new. It could, be, it could be a simple little thing like just putting something you've written up on your Facebook page. Mm. Do you know that kind of way? That could be the, the big leap for some people because not everyone's going to hop on a plane and do some mad psychedelic experience Definitely. on the other side of the world. But that's the funny thing and actually that kind of brings me back to, I suppose, um, the last day of uh, San Pedro, uh, which was on the Saturday. So this was after we'd already done one San Pedro, done a bit of travelling around, seen a few different places, done two ayahuasca ceremonies and then this was kind of the last um, day of ceremony before we were heading off to Machu Picchu but my big learning of that day was that uh, I really I was really enjoying Peru and all things Peruvian but I got a real sense of my Irishness while I was there and people often say that when you go away you feel more Irish than you do when you're at home yeah 
But that day, I was kind of sitting in the garden. Um, the sun was shining and I was kind of like looking around the place. And I was going, yeah, no, it's all really, you know, lovely or whatever. But it's not it's not home. And I kept thinking of places like Tara and all these different places that I love around this little island. And it made me really, really appreciate it. And it made me kind of um, remember all the things that I wanted. So I wanted to, I'd, you know, been meaning for ages to brush up on my Irish for example like my Irish language yes um I had wanted to learn the Bowron I had wanted to do all this kind of stuff you know and this was all coming back to me like it, it took me to go to South America to say go and fucking buy a Bowron for yourself and learn how to play it <laughs> you know like which is kind of ridiculous but I'm sure I could have made that realization had I given myself like I invested those kind of couple of weeks in myself and I took that time for myself to kind of work through and you know work on myself but I could have probably done a lot of that in my bedroom you know or going down and sitting in the Phoenix Park or going up to the Hill of Tara and sitting you know on the hill or whatever maybe I could have had those same revelations I didn't it did take me to go to Peru but it's absolutely possible that you you, if you just give yourself the space and time to you know to think of these things or realize these things then they probably will come you don't have to get on a plane to go and do it but there was a really funny thing that happened and I actually kind of forgot about it until just now whereby I was thinking about all this stuff and the the Irish element of it and then uh, I started getting this kind of uh, really clear vision of like someday, like this kind of premises that I had, this kind of healing centre. This is where this whole healing thing came from and I could see my, like you know, dogs and, you know, the whole thing. I could see it like in a, in a very, very clear vision and it was... Um, everything was again like there was this real kind of Irish ancient Irish Celtic kind of element to it all and uh, I remember kind of like sort of again sounds a bit mad asking the spirit well how do I know if this is really the path that I'm supposed to go down you know and the next thing this man walked into the garden like a real man like I thought maybe am I imagining this or is this person real but he was a real live man and he walked in with a harp on his back like an actual real life harp and here's me kind of sitting contemplating my Irishness and wondering oh is this really the path he walks in harp on his back and I just kind of looked up at him and he smiled at me and I smiled back and I just went well you couldn't have come at a better time (laughs) 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 so he's just like oh yeah yeah, okay well my name's uh, Roberto or whatever and I was like I'm Joy I'm Irish by the way and the harp is our sacred emblem he's like oh yeah yeah Turns out he was from Paraguay and he's this like world class uh, jazz harpist uh, who's friends with Leslie, whose house we were in. He had done a load of uh, San Pedro ceremonies over the years, whatever. And he happened to be in town and thought it'd be just a nice thing to do to come and play his harp for us in the garden while we were doing San Pedro that day. So got chatting to him anyway. He was like, look, I know that you're in this uh, experience. I don't want to be interrupting. I just, you know, going to go and set up my harp or whatever. As you do. This really fucking happened. So uh, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. So he went off and did that. Then he came back and he was just kind of like walking past going, hey, how's it going kind of thing. And he was about to walk on. And I, for some reason, I just went like, oh, but do you want to sit down and, you know, have a chat or whatever? So he came over and sat down beside me. It turned out that um he had lost his dad in recent times as well, really? uh, which was very weird. And we were kind of talking about that and talking about different things to do, like our families and all this kind of stuff. And had this amazing conversation with him um, about music and about creativity and about all this kind of stuff or whatever. And about just getting out and doing what you what you should be doing what you know in your heart you should be doing 
And then he was like, okay, I'll start my gig now. <laughs> so he started playing. He was playing like all these um, Beatles tunes. He done, he a had done it on a, a, a harp like this. Like, okay, people listening can't see, but like about half the size of me, maybe even a bit more, like a bit taller, maybe almost the size of me. Uh, and he, he was unbelievable. Like, I mean, just ridiculous. And there he is sitting playing his tunes. We're all kind of looking at each other going, this, like, life can actually be this good. Like, this is this is a real thing that's happening to us right now. Yeah. Um, so he played for ages, played loads of Beatles songs, played some of his own compositions. Like, it was absolutely incredible. I have his CD, thank God. Because I went up to him and I was like, have you got a CD? Because you need to sign it and I need to keep it so that I know that this really happened. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, I need to know this is real. So uh, yeah, I got a CD and I have it at home. I listen to it all the time. Like it was, it was really brilliant. So that was at my last day of San Pedro and that was the start of my kind of exploration into right, what like this healing place. Like what does that mean? What am I going to do there? Like I couldn't see exactly what it was like I couldn't see what kind of healing it was going to be it was just like this is this is it it was kind of like we'll show you this much but you have to figure out the rest yes you know and I was kind of going like well how do I figure that out and the kind of the the presence let's say or that the spirit was kind of going well look around this garden this garden didn't just you know appear like this it was built flower by flower and that's how you're going to build your vision flower by flower <laughs> it's like okay this is all really lovely so no that's it's really cool and there's, there's something <laughs> and again Peterson mentions it a lot this this idea of the wall garden which is the perfect balance between order and chaos have you heard him mention no, anything I like that so, no. yeah um, and he talks about the, like the garden of Eden as being a, a walled garden Right. And what a walled garden is essentially is, as I said, the, the perfect balance between order and chaos, because the the chaos is is just nature. Like stuff will just grow and things will just happen. But in a garden that's kind of controlled and it's manicured and the flowers that you want to blossom blossom not by their own accord, but because you've tended to the weeding. Yeah, yeah. And there's 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 a lot in that in, in just in the terms that you're talking about in in your life. Mm. You know. You, You'll have you'll have the type of life that you uh, you'll have the, you, you have the life that you create mm. essentially you know definitely largely uh, anyway yeah yeah now of course there are there are other things that are out of your control and all the rest of it and and, th- and that's fine that's that's just life yeah but we are in so much control of of the experiences that we have on a, on a day-to-day basis and the more introspection that we can get through the use of either psychedelics or mm-hmm. meditation or whether it's fitness, whether you're into your running or your float tanks or, or whatever it is, um, these can be used to better understand yourself and the better understanding you have of yourself, the better able you'll be to kind of, I don't know, find your way Definitely. through through this world. So. Does echoing what you're saying there, but a, a kind of a, a dream of you having this center of healing where everyone comes? Yeah, and I don't even I think it was this... a center. Like it wasn't a, like it wasn't kind of, oh, I'm going to have this massive place. It was just a, a place like I don't think it was very big. You know, I think it might have been like kind of, I don't know, like it wasn't a big fancy thing. Do you know what I mean? It was just I could sense the place and I could almost I could see bits and pieces of it. It was like rural. And maybe, I don't know, made out of wood. That's all I can tell you about it. I don't know anything else. Don't yeah. know what I was doing there. Who was there. Don't know. Like, But there's something extra cool about that, though, because if you had a vision of exactly what it was going to be, you'd lose a certain amount of the... 
not the mysticism, mysticism is the wrong word, but if, mm. if, if you had a really concretized vision of what it was, the journey would be kind of stolen from you. Yeah, absolutely. Because if, if, you, if you know what your end point is, then you've robbed yourself of finding out what your end point is, if that Definitely. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, listen, Joy, it's been two hours and 45. I hope it didn't feel wow. that. And my <laughs> head... Co- my head cold is just starting to kind of kick in. So unfortunately, I feel I'm going to have to cut this one short. No bother. You mentioned a couple of times if people wanted to kind of contact you, mm. they they could. So yeah. are you willing to give out your Facebook page or an email address or, or, or what would be best yeah, for people to contact? Yeah, probably my email address would probably be the best thing. It's just joymbooth. So J-O-Y-M-B-O-O-T-H at gmail.com. Brilliant. So if anybody has been kind of touched by anything that Joy has said or maybe we'd just like to reach out and thank her for anything that she said or might want to know a bit more about her experience or how they might be able to start their own journey either to Peru or elsewhere. Um, hit Joy up uh, an email. My email as always is I'm off the lead at gmail.com. Joy, again, sorry, I feel like I've cut this conversation oh, short, no. but either it's either that or I'm going to be sniffling and getting all nasty <laughs> down the microphone of people, which I don't want to do. be honest, I've terrified you, Fran. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joy, it's been an absolute Thanks pleasure so much having, for having you. Me. Thank you. Thanks again for coming on. <laughs> Cheers.